Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Good afternoon, Auburn. Welcome into Sports Call here today on this Tuesday. Coming to you live from our studio here on South College Street. My name is JJ Jackson on the program with me today. I've got Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress. We've got a really fun show planned for you. As on today's program, we will chat with Keith Niebuhr of Auburn Live at On3 Sports. Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer will be on the program. We'll have our Player of the Week. We'll have Birthdays in Sports and a nightly TV guide. We jump into a ton on today's program. Thanks for listening to us on Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. JJ Jackson and Ryan LaVoy. Hello, Ryan. Hello, JJ. Glad to have you back. Hope you had a, a great week celebrating your brother. It's been a little bit of time since you and I have done a show together. Yeah. Uh, la- not even last week, yeah. so a week before. I'm so grateful you guys were able to sit in this chair and hold down the fort for me. You did it several times last week. Thank you for doing that. But uh, yeah, I did have an amazing week last week. No problem, man. And I'm glad you did. But I'm uh, doing well today. Hope you are as well. Yep. And uh, we'll just uh, continue to, to talk the sports thing. That's yeah. what we do, man. We're really good at this. We're really good at talking about everything going on in the wide world of sports. Auburn football didn't have a game last week to preview. They had the bye week. Uh, did really well against the bye this past week for the Tigers. Dub against the bye. A dub yeah. against the bye, indeed. Uh, and now they take on Arkansas, an Arkansas team uh, that's in a much different spot than a lot of people anticipated them being at this point in the season. Brian Harson reminding folks of the fact yesterday during his press conference, Auburn does have the SEC's leading rusher in Rakeem Sanders. They do a good job running the football. The Auburn defense has given up over 700 combined rushing yards in the last two games. So you talk to anybody about this game on Saturday coming up between Auburn and Arkansas. Stopping the run will be paramount for Auburn's success on Saturday against Arkansas. And then also, Auburn ran the ball well against Ole Miss. That is something that Coach Harson and company want to see continue. Let's see another big performance from Tank Bigsby out of the backfield. See what Robbie Ashford can do for your rushing attack and that sort of thing. So uh, running the football, that's going to be the big storyline going into Saturday's game against Arkansas. This is just a good problem to have. It, it, a bye week makes you miss Auburn football. It makes you miss your team playing. And so we'll get to see Auburn play uh, what in some ways is a winnable game. Auburn opened up as just a three-and-a-half-point underdog against Arkansas, and I say just a three-and-a-half-point underdog for a home contest because context is everything. Think about the fact that for so many of these games this season, Auburn's been a more-than-two-score, more-than-two-touchdown underdog in spots. So the fact that they walk into this football game only three-and-a-half points was the difference. Money continues to go Arkansas's way, so that number will climb more so in Arkansas's favor. But uh, I think we'll see a good game on Saturday morning at 11 a.m. between Auburn and Arkansas. Yeah, and I think with uh, 
This has the game uh, the potential to be a higher scoring game, kind of like the Ole Miss game. Normally, I would have said Auburn was just not capable of taking advantage of any sort of defense, but they did against Ole Miss, and they scored 34 points. They looked competent. They still made some really terrible plays, and I think the the thing for Auburn moving forward at the end of the season is Auburn's going to have bad plays, and most offenses offenses do. But it's what what defines a bad play for your offense? Is it just Miss miss executing a third and short yardage situation where you have to punt, or you know, is it is it uh, missing a deep ball? Is it, is it just not taking advantage of a play, or is it turning the ball over? Is it not taking advantage of a short field? Is it having second and 17, third and 12? You know, and, and that's the kind of thing Auburn has had a lot of. They've had a lot of turnovers this year. They've obviously not forced very many, so they've lost the tur- turnover battle in pretty much every single game they played, if not all of them. And that's what's kind of set Auburn back. Now, against Ole Miss, they finally made a more good plays. Okay, so you had all those bad plays in games earlier this year, but you didn't have much of the good. You didn't have many explosive plays. Um, you didn't have or you didn't have many drives I should say you'd have a random explosive play and then you'd you'd fizzle out because you'd have bad blocking or you'd have a bad play call that sort of thing Um, but against Ole Miss they they made those good plays finally and they made good drives think Bigsby had his first truly great game of the year and Robbie Asher made a few plays but you still had the negative plays in that game you still had situations where you had turnovers um that that were were pretty costly overall. I mean, you had three. You really don't want to ever have more than one. You understand one because you know accidents happen. Sure. You know, if you're talking to a little kid or something, yeah. they feel bad about spilling the apple juice. Some accidents happen. It happened. Uh, so one can happen, but three is too many. And so that's what really hindered them there. They lost the turnover battle. They were a minus two against Ole Miss. They lose by two possessions. Um, so. I guess all that to say is I trust Auburn to make positive plays against Arkansas. Arkansas is not going to stymie them. Auburn's going to score. But can Auburn take care of the ball, which is something they've not done all year long? Because on the flip side of things, for Arkansas, Arkansas has played good offensive football when K.J. Jefferson's been in there. And K.J. Jefferson should be in there against Auburn, and he should be close to, if not 100%. We saw them score 50 against BYU. Um, when K.J. Jefferson was healthy. They scored 30s and 40s the first three games of the year when they played Cincinnati, who's a top 25 team, South Carolina, who's now a top 25 team, believe that or not, and then Missouri State. But, of course, Missouri State being FCS, that was a panic game for Arkansas against Bobby Petrino. Um, But we saw them start to take a dive, especially around that Alabama-Mississippi State game where they didn't have Jefferson in there the full game. Uh, and against Mississippi State, didn't have him at all, only scored 17. So when Jefferson plays, that's a really good offense. And you talked about Raheem Sanders, they call him Rocket Sanders, uh, who's been tremendous for them. So Auburn's defense will be tested two weeks after they played their worst football of the year. So, again, this will be a high-scoring game. This will be, in my estimation, won't give a – final final score but this will be a 42 to 35 45 35 
type of ball game, similar to what it was against Ole Miss two weeks ago. Let's see what it looks like. Auburn and Arkansas Saturday, 11 a.m. kickoff. The pregame show starts at 8 a.m. with the Tiger Tailgate Show. If you would like to be a part of our program today to offer your thoughts and commentary, you can do that by dialing 334-887-3401 on your mobile device. All right, before we take our first break in the program, let's celebrate our birthdays. It's time for today's birthdays in sports. You better believe it is time for today's birthdays in sports. Brought to you by our friends over at Max Credit Union. Max Credit Union has two convenient locations in the area to help serve you. One in Auburn on Gay Street, one in Opelika on Frederick Road. Allow Max Credit Union to help you with all of your banking needs. Ryan, commentary from you on all of these birthdays today, please, sir. Okay. Let's have some fun. October 25th. 2022 celebrating his 24th birthday today pittsburgh steelers tight end pat fryermuth what a name what a name indeed i don't know if i have much more commentary other than that uh, does he even play a lot he does he uh hit or miss on his okay. production from time to time given the recent quarterback play sure for the steelers but he tends to be one of their top targets out of that room played college football at penn state they call him Muth at, at it's not Heinz Field anymore, but it should be, and yeah, it's whatever. But when the fan, here. it yeah. sounds like they're booing him because it's just Muth every time he makes a play sure. like that. Okay, Pat Fire Muth, Fryer Muth, excuse me, twenty-four years old. I love tight ends. Uh, Chandler Parsons, thirty-four years old today. Still young enough. To be in the NBA, but he's right. been out for a, quite a while. Yeah, that guy, the opinion on that guy flipped very quickly. He was a really good shooter, came out of Florida, and for the Rockets in particular, I feel like shot that thing pretty good. But then got a big contract, and f- I think it was with Memphis or someone like that. Really flopped and flailed, didn't play well, and was out of the league pretty quickly. You're pretty spot on. He played four years of college basketball at Florida. He was the SEC Player of the Year. In 2011, a second-round pick in 11 by the Rockets. He played in his NBA career for the Mavericks, Grizzlies, and Hawks. Mavericks. Chandler Parsons is 34. Yeah, it was the Mavericks maybe where he got that big contract. How about an outfielder for the San Diego Padres turning 24 years old, Juan Soto, celebrating his birthday? Happy birthday, ousted from the playoffs just days before. (laughs) Uh, by the way, I don't know if we'll talk about it at all. I've already talked about it. I, I have zero interest in this year's World Series, and I might pull a, uh, you know, Tom Peavy, who, you know, does not watch certain sports, right. or Bill Bailey, who right. does not watch. Bill Bailey doesn't really, didn't used to watch college football sometimes. Right. I'll pull a Bill, we'll call a Bill Bailey and not watch, and not watch the, the World, World Series. Series. Uh, but Juan Soto for the pods. Was very he good. You might not watch it either. Uh, I might not have watched it either, yeah, because I can't stand the Astros and Padres still don't do it for me. But Soto. No, I'm saying Soto might not watch the World Series either. Oh, yeah, probably not. I don't know. I have no idea. He will if be he dialed likes in. Sport. No yeah. idea. But I know he's a really good baseball player. He is indeed. He's a two time All Star and World Series champion in 2019, two time Silver Slugger Award winner, and also won the Derby in 2020. Juan Soto, 24. Pedro Martinez turning 51 years old today. Hall of Famer in 2015. Yeah. He's on TV now, I think. Yeah. Yeah, he made fun of the Yankees. He probably should have. He's a Red Sox. They, <laughs> they used to call they used to say who's your daddy Pedro. Right. And and then he 
he finally got him, and so he told the Yankees fans, uh, "Who's your daddy? The Astros are your daddy." So man, oh man, yeah. So not not don't love Pedro, yeah. but he was a heck of a pitcher. Um, Two thousand and four World Series champion with over, those Red Sox, over three thousand strikeouts, and uh, was was one of the best pitchers in the game for a long time. Eight time All Star, three Cy Young Award yep. wins. That's pretty impressive. Yep. Hall of Fame. Is that the most? Three Cy Youngs? No. Three feels no. high, though. It's high. It's not the most. I I, I wouldn't be surprised. We'll Spitball. do some research Randy Johnson would be up there. Nolan Ryan, probably. Yeah. Cy Young himself, surely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, although I guess, you know, the award's named after him, so I don't know if, what the award was called back then or for best pitcher. But, right. Yeah. Nonetheless, his number 45 jersey retired by the Boston Red Sox. Three-time Cy Young, eight-time All-Star, World Series champ in 2004, Hall of Famer in 2015. That's Pedro Martinez, who's turning 51. And then finally, turning 29 years old, a PGA Tour golfer who played college golf at Cal State Long Beach and San Diego State, turning pro in June of 2015, Mr. Xander Shoffley turns 29 years old. Long Beach State, huh? You know... <laughs> Of, of all the sports, golf is one of the ones where you don't pay as much attention to where they went to school at. You know, you're, it's something we talk about all the time in the NFL right. or, or NBA. But um, quality golfer, top 10-ish in the world. I don't know right now if he's still in the top 10, but he's definitely been in the top 10 before. Uh, Ryder Cup guy, President's Cup guy for the U.S., really good golfer. Happy birthday. Birthdays in sports, October 25th. 2022, Pat Fryermuth, Chandler Parsons, Juan Soto, Pedro Martinez, and Xander Shoffley are all celebrating their birthdays here today. Uh, a man by the name of Roger Clemens has the most Cy Young Awards of all time. Five or six? He's got seven of them. Okay. Randy Johnson has five okay. Cy Young Awards. Greg Maddox and Steve Carlton have four. And then it's Pedro Martinez, Randy Johnson, and... Uh, no, sorry. Said. Pedro Martinez um, and Max Scherzer have three. Okay. Yes. Nolan Ryan, not on there then. Uh, he must have just been strikeout king that you know also had to... Let me get my full yeah. list put together yeah. here. Seven for Clemens, five for Johnson, four for Maddox, four for Carlton, three for Scherzer, three for Kershaw, three for Martinez. Sandy Koufax had three. Tom Seaver had three. Uh, and then several pitchers with two Cy Young Award wins. Good stuff. Who's going to win it this year? Uh, Verlander in the American Verlander's League. Verlander's really good. That's right. National League, probably Julio Urias from the Dodgers. That's crazy. Um, I, some other guy, you know, Ryan, Sandy, Al good, man. Sandy Alcantara was up there for the Marlins. He'd probably be in the top three or four. Uh, but, yeah, probably. Urias led the NL and ERA. They're so good, man. But they're not in the World Series. But they're good. Yeah. Well, yeah, 111 wins. Damn good. <laughs> they are good. But they were not clutches here. Neither were the Braves. Interesting. Sadly. Interesting. All right, here's our first time out of today's show. We're back with your phone calls after this on Sports Call. Follow us on Twitter. 
Follow our Sports Call host, J.J. Jackson, on Twitter by searching at underscore J.J. underscore Jackson underscore. And follow the show on Twitter by searching at Sports Call AU. Hashtag, is that two words? I'm Jeff Whitaker, Jr., former Auburn Tigers defensive tackle and national champion, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. All right, we're back on Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. J.J. Jackson inside the studio with Ryan LaVoy. Hope that you're doing well on this Tuesday. To be a part of the program, dial us on the phone, 334-887-3401 or toll free at one 888 9 We want to hear from you. We want all of your thoughts from things going on across the sports world. For now, let's go to the phone lines. We're taking your calls and joining us on the program we've got... James from Montgomery. Our good pal James from Montgomery has called into Sports Call. Hi, James. Hello, and War Eagle. War Eagle, sir. Yeah, I am so excited for Auburn and Arkansas, and I just wanted to see what uh, Robert Ashford is actually going to do this weekend. Yeah, Robbie Ashford, remember? Robbie Ashford. Robbie, Robbie Ashford, yeah. Um, I just wanted to see what he's actually going to do for us, and... um, do you think that we might make a come out like a, a huge win in this weekend uh, game against Arkansas? I think it's certainly possible, and I would be in a much better mood if Auburn were to find a way to win this football game against the Razorbacks. I think running the football is going to be key, trying to find a way to establish that and make it happen. And uh, I certainly think they're capable of doing it. Now they've just got to actually go out and do that and play successful football. Yeah, because I think with St. Bixby and – um, I I probably see Tank Bixby like he looks like an NFL star. So I mean that's what they say. But I mean with his speed and agility, I would probably say that uh, Tank Bixby. I will compare him to Ezekiel Elliott. He has like that Ezekiel Elliott type feel to him as well. He's a really good running back. He had a 50-yard touchdown run against Ole Miss a few weeks back, which was really exciting. Had that fun 39-yard touchdown run against, I believe it was Mercer, when Auburn had that rain delay in the football game. Uh, so, yeah, he, he's been a really fun highlight maker for the Tigers over the last few seasons. I'm really, really excited uh, to see what kind of plays he can make for the rest of the season. Yeah, because I've, um, I've seen so many great plays over the years with Auburn, and I never – I would like to see Auburn actually do, like, you know, when they – when Arkansas actually kicks off the ball to us if we refer, if we defer, uh, you know, the kick. I would like to see like a a huge, huge play that's being made, like from one of the uh, special teams on on our special teams to actually just run it from one end of the end zone to the other. I would love to see that actually happen again. Yeah, kickoff return touchdown. It's always a really exciting play. Noah Igbenogany had a few of those in his Auburn career. Uh, he also had a big interception this week on Sunday Night Football to win it for the Dolphins. So, uh, But, yeah, if Auburn were to find a way to get one of those kickoff return touchdowns, I'd be very excited, and we'd be thinking of you, James. Oh, well, I do like that as well because basically – I I mean, if I was playing for Auburn, if they put me in the backfield and I'm actually waiting for it to come to my, like, come out, like, 
you know, for me to catch it, I'm just holding it real tight and I'm just taking off warning on on the sideline, you know, maybe like in the middle and then just cut to the left or cut to the right like Chris Davis and then just probably do like some little celebration or something, maybe like a Deion Sanders, you know, toe step into the end zone as well. Yeah, maybe you'll throw up the peace sign like Tyreek Hill does when he runs a long touchdown. He's gone so far ahead of everybody, he's saying, peace out, I'm going to the end zone. Um, I wouldn't do that as well. No? But, no, I wouldn't do that because I would be – I mean, I would get flagged for that if I was the Auburn football player. Yeah, but, but you would get flagged if you did the Dion high step. You would also get flagged for that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, So yeah, maybe would. you wouldn't celebrate then. Yeah, so I would, I would probably, like, save some of the celebrations, like, for big games like Alabama or Georgia or something like that as well. Now, if we do play, like, if I did play um, the Iron Bowl, I would, like, one, like, right off the field, like, uh, Bo Jackson into the in, like out of the stadium or something like that, you know. We'll see. We'll see what that looks like if you're able to make a big time play like that happen. All right, give us your World Series pick. Um, well, actually, with the World Series that's this Friday, I have the Philadelphia Phillies winning Game One. Okay, and do you think they win the best of seven series, or do they only um, win the first game? I would have to say it would be a seven-win uh, stretch for the world for the uh, Philadelphia Phillies as well. So maybe they win four games to three and they're World Series champions. Yes, as well. And with the World Series that I'm actually going to be watching, Taco Bell is actually doing a little promotion during the World Series. What is uh, that this year? They're actually doing still a base, still a taco this. World Series only for the World Series. So, if any, if one of the two teams actually steal a base, people go to Taco Bell and buy a, a free taco for the World Series as well. And so, it's like you're stealing the taco. It's free, but it feels like you're stealing it. Yes, like they steal yes. bases. Yes, as well. So they've been doing it for the past, I should say, like six or seven years. They've been doing it as well. Probably seven years at the most. So, you know, it's, it's a really good thing that Taco Bell actually doing something like that as well. Do you like tacos? Um, Yes, I actually do. I love taco salad, by the way. I do, too. Taco salad is great. There is nothing like a good taco salad. Yeah, it is something that I've been um, eating for years since I was a little kid, and I still love it to this day as well. Yeah, I feel the exact same way about it. And you know what day of the week it is, James, right? Do you know what day of the week it is? It is December, I mean, it's October 25th, but yeah, it's it's the 25th, but not what the date is, what the actual day of the week is. Do you know Um, what the day of the week is? Oh, Tuesday. Yes, it's Tuesday, and we're talking about tacos, so what does that mean? Taco Tuesday as well. Yeah, and who says that? You all actually been saying it for over uh, a lot of years. I've yeah. been hearing y'all actually talk about uh, Taco Tuesdays as well. And like LeBron, you know LeBron James doing that? Yes, he is. He's actually doing a really good job with Taco Tuesday as well. I'll say it. Taco Tuesday! 
Yes, I actually love Taco Tuesday. It's one of the best days of October and probably all of the uh, Mexican restaurants um, that are doing Taco Tuesday. I mean, they have some really great deals for Taco Tuesday and Margarita Tuesdays as well. There you go. That's a good time. Now you're setting up a party. Uh, What about uh, your NBA news? Oh, yes. With my NBA news, I just added to that uh, Twitter feed. Um, There won't be no Zion Williamson. He has a lower back spasm from last night's game. So he won't be playing in tonight's game against my Dallas Mavericks. So he'll be out for a couple of weeks. So he'll be out for two to three weeks with that back spasm as well. Yeah, hopefully he can get back feeling well. He's such a fun player to watch. Yes, as well, because I'm I'm actually looking at this game uh, with my Dallas Mavericks and seeing if we have some guys from um, from the Texas uh, Legion's uh, squad from the G League that are actually going to be starting in tonight's game. So I'm just going to be looking at those guys that we just drafted from the uh, Texas Legends uh, squad to the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, roster, so I'm just probably seeing if we have any uh, newcomers that might want to come to our uh, to our team as well. No doubt about that. You ready for some Halloween movie trivia? Yes, with Halloween right around the corner. All right, here we go. Which horror film character wields a gloved with razors for fingers? That will be no other than. I would have to say that would be Freddy Krueger. That's right. Freddy Krueger. Very good. Very good. What iconic scary movie had Johnny Depp's film debut? What scary Mm. movie starred Johnny Depp in the year 1984? Uh, Let me see. Uh, 1984. I would have to say, oh, let me see, 1984, I would have to say that would be, I would probably say, I guess it would be like The Shining. Very close. But how about A Nightmare on Elm Street? (laughs) Yes, that is the... Yes, I was thinking The Night on Elm Street because I've actually seen that one. I've seen The Night on Elm Street 1 and 2 and The Night on Elm Street 1984 with Johnny Depp in that uh, series as well. Which 90s movie features creepy crawlies taking over a small town in California? Which 90s movie features creepy crawlies taking over a small town in California? Um, I think I've seen this one. Basically like spiders. Um, Ah, man, I've seen this one on Netflix. It's still on there. It's, um, Slither. Close. We're looking for arachnophobia. Oh, yeah. I I think I've seen that. And, I yeah, arachnophobia with spiders. Ugh, I, I, I couldn't watch that by myself. 
Which horror movie features Sarah Jessica Parker as a witch? Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker as a witch. Um, they actually did a remake of this one. Um, I think that would be Hocus Pocus. You're exactly too. right. Well done, buddy. Well done. Yes, and actually, um, Hocus Pocus 2 is actually going to be coming out next week as well. Yeah, that's exciting. And they're they're thinking about doing a Hocus Pocus 3 and 4 in the remake. Wow. And then finally, your last Halloween movie trivia question today. Which movie features Pennywise the Clown? That would be no other than It. It is correct. Well done. Well done, buddy. You did a great job on trivia today, James. Thank you. Thank you all. And I would have um, some Halloween uh, jokes for you all tomorrow. No way. All right. We're going to be really excited for those, okay? Yes, as well. And then on top of that, I will be talking about my Halloween, my first Halloween as a little kid growing up, loving Halloween and what I used to be when I was um, a little 12 uh, year A little boy. Kid. Yeah. Hmm? A little boy when you were a little boy. Yes, so I will tell you all about that as well. Perfect. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you then, okay? All right. Sounds good. And War Eagle. War Eagle. Our good pal James from Montgomery joining us here on Sports Call. Let's take our next break. Show continues in a moment. We need a timeout. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. Let's get back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Feel free to give us a call at 334-887-3401 or toll free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're back at it. Auburn's first, Auburn's favorite sports talk show. J.J. Jackson, Ryan LaVoy, and Brooks Childress. All of our sports call callers and guests join us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Auburn Bank has been your hometown bank for over 110 years. Visit them online at auburnbank.com for more information. Your partner, your neighbor, your friend, member FDIC, equal housing lender. 334-887-3401. Ward Damn Steve. Retired Ward Damn Steve is here with us on Sports Call today. Hello, Steve. Good afternoon, everybody. Hello. Okay, so JJ, uh, who else is on there? JJ, Ryan, and Brooks. And Brooks. Okay. Uh, how was your visit down home um, over the weekend, Mr. Brooks? It was good. Very relaxing. Okay. Uh, is Grace still putting up with you? Yes, she is. Well, I, I commend her. How many days away from the wedding are we, Brooks? Uh, 179, I think. I'm impressed you knew the answer to that. She's got a little calendar thing, like a flip card that I see every day. So it's either 179 or 180. 179 days away. Exciting stuff. So has she signed the commitment papers yet? Uh, She hasn't quite signed the papers yet. We're we're still working on some deals, but uh, we're we're (laughs) almost there. 
Okay, no early signing period yet, huh? Uh, okay, all right. No, I'm trying to get all her right. that uh, that McDonald's bag that Tennessee used to use. Okay, all right. Happy meals, huh? Yeah. All right, guys, I want to start out with, to me, a, a just a, a, a very uh, Auburnish, uh, heartwarming uh, kind of, uh, I guess, piece of information. You're familiar, I'm sure, with uh, Mr. Jeff Perlman? Sure. He's a renowned sports writer. Uh, an author, New York Times bestseller. Well, he's come out with a new book. I just ordered on Amazon. The name of the book is what is the it? Last folk, the last folk hero about Bo Jackson. Yes, that's really cool. Yes, the life and myth of Bo Jackson. It's gotten rave reviews from all kinds of uh, New York Times, L.A. Times, uh, sports writers, and they said if you're an Auburn fan. You'll love it. Even if you're not, you'll still love it. Uh, I wanted to let you know that there's going to be a book signing in Auburn by Mr. Jeff Perman uh, this Friday at 5.30 at a place I, I'm not familiar with. It's called Auburn Oil Booksellers. Auburn Oil Booksellers? Right. Yeah, Auburn. It, it's right down the street. It's right down from uh, Tiger Town. Or not Tiger Town. Uh, Tumors Corner. If, if you go down Magnolia like you're going toward... Um, Auburn Bank away from the the sit from downtown or away from the university. It's down that street. Okay. All right. Well, he's also going to be in my neck of the woods in Fairhope at Page and Pallet. But I just want to let you know he will be doing a book signing this Friday at the, that local bookstore in Auburn. Uh, I, there's some interviews that they had on AL.com if you want to read them uh, with uh, Mr. Jeff Perlman. Uh, they even asked him. You know, it's over 400 pages. He interviewed. Uh, I mean, people that. Were, um, grew up with him, family members, and some of the nuggets from him. One of the nuggets is this. I did not know this. In high school, apparently Bo Jackson attempted 91 stolen bases. How many do you think he actually stole? I don't know. 70? 75? Higher. 80? Higher. 84? Higher. A hundred and four. Well, he he only attempted ninety one. So. Uh-huh. A eighty seven. He stole ninety. Wow. Damn. How about that? So then he find one to find out who who was it that that got him out. It was a catcher from the near high school in Montgomery, and he tracked him down. He said, "Yeah, I got him out." Talk about that story for the rest of your life. I I was the guy that threw out Bo Jackson. Right. Out of 91 stolen bases, he was the one that got him out. The only time it happened. Wow. So those are just some, some of the nuggets in there. But uh, he also attempted to apparently uh, get Bo Jackson to uh, interview for, for the cover uh, for the book, uh, but he, he declined uh, to do it. But he said he was okay with him going ahead and writing the book. He said there's stuff in there that uh, even Bo Jackson uh, didn't put in his own book that was called Bo Knows Bo. Uh, but anyway, it's, uh, it's a book I've already ordered. And so if you're an Auburn fan, even if you're not, you may want to get the book, but definitely if you're an Auburn fan, and maybe give it to somebody for uh, a holiday coming up. Yeah. Yeah, holiday. So anyway, uh, the last folk hero, the life of myth of Bo Jackson. So there you go. He said he ended up loving Bo Jackson more after uh, he did all his research than before. All right. Uh, Let's go on, guys, to Mr. Ron LaVoy. You have my condolences, Ron, uh, because now – you can join the rest of us who are also Auburn fans as well. I know you are uh, in a sports purgatory. Uh, I still cannot believe after you made the comment 
uh, you were, you know, I think you made the comment that if they happen to lose to the Panthers, uh, there's going to be, you know, not not a good weekend for you, right? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I still can't believe that happened. Uh, I know we were talking on the phone, but I did not know that it's, it was the last time that uh, Mr. Brady uh, played for a team that was 500 or less. It was, 19, it was 2002, 20 years ago. Long time. Right, yep. Uh, that, that's incredible. And then his former uh, boss, Mr. Uh, Belichick, ain't doing too well himself either. Uh, he's not doing that too good. Nope. So the, these kind of things are just remarkable. But speaking about not doing too good, guys, uh, here comes a uh, column today uh, entitled, Auburn's Still Not Where We Need to Be, a Quarterback, by Nathan King. Tell us about have you read it. The article yet? Have I haven't. No, I haven't got a chance. Well, this is how bad I didn't know we were this bad uh, in terms of uh, our quarterback uh, performance. Okay. But uh, according to uh, the, this uh, column, in quarterback ratings, no one in the SEC has been less effective, on average, at this point than Ashford. Having started all four of Auburn's SEC games, he's completing forty-seven point nine percent of his passes four touchdowns and five interceptions. To let you know uh, comparatively what that looks like, his completion rate is currently, get ready, the worst for an Auburn starting quarterback in a season since who? Gabe Gross in 1998, who had a passing percentage of 44.7. And he also has the worst quarterback rating of 111.0. That's also the worst since who? Who else? Kyle Frazier. Whew, in 2012. He is uh, not Kyle remembered Frazier, fondly. Yeah. No. Kyle Frazier's rating was 99.9, and Asher's is 1.11. Man, oh, man. Now, here's some of the, 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 the QBR uh, factors that are affecting uh, uh, this rating. Asher has put the ball on the ground eight, with eight fumbles this season. That is, hold on to your seats, the second most this season in college football. Wow. Think about that one. Wow. And here's another unfortunate nugget. Auburn's quarterbacks this season have combined for 13 fumbles, six of them being scooped up by the opponent's defense. Boy. Not the best numbers to share with us there, Steve. I bring this up because somebody ought to take the task. Uh, as a reporter, I sure would maybe be my last. Uh, Coach Harson, because he came to us portrayed by a lot of sports beat writers as being a quarterback guru, was he not? Yeah, his, a lot of his quarterbacks at Boise State had, had success. Yeah. So what explains this? Because I know we, we struggle offensive line, but... The offensive line doesn't get him to make eight fumbles, does do they do they impact that? I mean they, they do in a way because a lot of those fumbles I won't well I say won't say a lot of them, but at least some of those fumbles are attributed to sack fumbles. And and what that means is, you know, getting the blind side pressure and, and having to get away from guys because the offensive line has done a poor job blocking. Now, there are some fumbles that Ashford's had this year that are all on him. I mean, when he scrambled against Georgia 
and just lost the ball without even being right. contacted. Yeah, that's obviously you know, 100% on Ashford. But there's there uh, some of those fumbles that quarterbacks take are attribute or, or are a lot of the times. Um, you know, pertaining to lack of, of pass protection and, and being hit from your blind side or being hit as you throw and it, and it turns out to be a fumble, that sort of thing. So not all fumbles are on Ashford, but, yes, some of them are, and it's still a lot, period, and you can't have that many. Well, here's an opportunity because, according to Nathan King, Arkansas does not exactly have a south passing defense. Opposing quarterbacks, according to his information, are averaging – 8.6 yards per attempt, giving Arkansas the second worst mark in the SEC in that category, behind who? Vanderbilt. And yet, we are an underdog. And I got to bring this up. I heard you earlier, JJ. And man, as much as I love and respect you, yeah. Hold on, please. Hold on, please. We should not be a damn underdog to Arkansas at home. Not at home. I believe we should too, for the record. I believe we. I believe Auburn should be an underdog. I don't. I mean, I can't recall the last time we were an underdog to Arkansas at home. It's not yeah, great. It's not, it's Steve, not about that, though. Steve, let me let it's me about ask this year. Steve. Are are you talking about this year? They should not be, or as a as a pro, as a whole, Auburn should not be. Uh, as a whole, as okay. A whole, okay. Because as a whole, I agree. I would yeah. love well, yeah. for Auburn to be That's in a spot. My my yeah. point was more so. Hey, given that in recent weeks Auburn has been a 14, 15, 16, hell, 30-point underdog against a team like Georgia being just a three-point underdog. That's way better. That's way better than it has been so far this season. But traditionally, yeah, I would love for Auburn to never be an underdog when they match up with well, Arkansas. I'm, I'm coming from that perspective. You know, like the gentleman called yesterday. Then I've we got, jumped in the know, same boat. Yeah. Uh, Jones from Montgomery, I believe. Auburn should never be an underdog in football to Arkansas any old Miss teams at home, at home. When they are, then that means something um, is really going bad with our football program. 60 seconds left in the hour, Steve. That's, that's what I was going with, guys, because uh, that, that's unfortunate. Oh, by the way, uh, Mr. Ronald and I talked before we got on the show about those autographs supposedly uh, being done by those referees at the uh, 10 of 8 Bucks game. Uh-huh. I read the entire article. I was wrong. Uh, I thought that the NFL said that it wasn't going on, and I said they were liars. They apparently said what was going on is they were asking for a phone number of Mike Evans to give to a friend of theirs who wanted some pro golf tips. Now, okay, if that's it, all right, okay, fine. Then they were getting autographs. However, I only have one suspicious comment about that, okay, and I hope I'm wrong. Most people now, unless they're not allowed to, have smartphones and they can put the person's phone number on their contact into their phone right guys that's right but uh, maybe a restaurant allowed to have smartphones on them during the game is that maybe yeah it? no i i highly doubt they can have their phones while they're on the field and since they had just ran off the field the phones are probably in in their locker room or that sort of thing so they hadn't gotten there yet okay so that the bottom line of espn says the so, two were talking about golf yeah that's why he wanted a phone number to give to a friend of his to get some golf, uh, I guess, uh, recommendations. Anyway, yeah, so go play 18 together. Yeah. Right, Thanks, Steve. Guys, we'll talk about uh, maybe the Phillies tomorrow and what's in store for them. Love it. Because I cannot pull for the cheaters. We'll see you.
Thank you, guys. We'll see you. War Eagle, have a safe afternoon. War Eagle, our good pal, retired Ward M. Steve, joining us there at the end of hour number one alongside Brooks Monroe Childress and Ryan Scott Lavoy. I'm Joshua Lyndon Jackson. One hour in the books, and we're rolling! One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call starts right now on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson inside the studio with Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress. Coming up here at 4.15, we'll talk with Keith Niebuhr of Auburn Live and on 3 Sports 430, a conversation with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer, talking about everything going on in the life of Auburn athletics. The Sports Call podcast is brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live, or if you want to hear something again, make sure that you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy an ice-cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk, Coca-Cola. Taste the feeling. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and on the Tiger Communications app. Again, to be a part of the show, 334-887-3401 or toll-free at one 9 tiger 9 As we get going here in hour number two on this Tuesday, I want to tell you about our Sports Call Player of the Week. Sports Call's Player of the Week. Bo Nix is Sports Call's Player of the Week, presented by Eric McDade State Farm. Nix led Oregon to its biggest win of the season against top 10 ranked UCLA last weekend in Eugene. Nix was 22 of 28 passing for 283 yards and five touchdowns while running eight times for 51 yards. Bo Nix was named the Walter Camp Football Association Offensive Player of the Week. On the season, Nix has now completed 71.5% of his passes. That percentage is 10 points higher than any of his three seasons playing at Auburn. Nix now house the sixth best Heisman Trophy odds according to Vegas Insider. Bo Nix is Sports Call's Player of the Week presented by Eric McDade State Farm. Indeed he is. Shout out to Eric McDade State Farm. Drivewitheric.com We're talking about our Player of the Week. A man by the name of Bo Nix. Yeah, I mean you, you look at what he did this Not it's not just this weekend but since that Georgia game he has just been on fire. I think he won Player of the Week uh, once, uh, already once this year. First performance at, uh, with the Oregon Ducks. But you look at what he what he's done all year. He, up until this week, he hadn't played a ranked team, so you could you know you could make the argument. Well, he hasn't really played a lot. Well, you know, you came into this weekend a number twelve UCLA team that a, you know a lot of people thought could run the table if they if they beat Oregon. 
and they sure didn't beat Oregon because Bo Nix came out there. And it, it's not like Oregon had the game from the offset. You know, you, you look at the, the box score. It was 3-3 three to three at the end of the first quarter, and then the second quarter is when Oregon and Bo Nix kind of, like, started going. They outscored them 28-10 to 10 in, that, uh, in that second quarter. And then, it, you know, the, the route was on pretty much for, for the Ducks, as uh, our good friend Tom Peavy said in the, uh, in the commercial there. 22 of 28, 283 yards, five touchdowns passing, and then eight rushes for 51 yards for uh, on the ground for Bo Nix. Just he, he's done this, you know, consistently. You look at this Oregon offense, and you can make, like I said, you can make the argument that it's a Pac-12 that's, you know, you wouldn't say they're the best defenses, but you're putting up consistently. I think the the lowest they've scored this year, besides that Georgia game, was 41 against BYU in their third game of the year. They're putting up numbers that, you know, it, it's a lot of teams in the country can't match, even if you play in a better conference. Uh, it, it's, it, it is just astounding what Bo Nix has been able to do in that offense under Kenny Dillingham. And it, it you look at how he, you know, he draws up some offensive schemes. There's some stuff there at, at Oregon that you just look, you, you know, you're looking at, and you're like, wow, that is, that is some good offense right there with, with Oregon. Uh, and so, you know, it, it took a game for Dan Lanning and this, this Oregon team to get, get their feet under them with that Georgia game. And then that, it's been off to the races since. And you look at their schedule coming up. Cal, Colorado, Washington, Utah, and Oregon State. I the the biggest game they're going to be challenged on probably is that Utah game, and it, it and that may not even be a challenge. You've seen the way Utah's played a couple times this year, so Bo Nix is just out there tearing things up in the Pac-12. Very Dude, deserving, big time things, deserving indeed. And as Tom said, again, that was Tom that voiced uh, our spot there, Player of the Week, presented by Eric McDade, State Farm. And as we let you know, you can read about all of this on our website, thetiger.fm, also on our social media feeds. We've got a story up on Bo Nix. 71.5%. It says completion percentage. Easy for me to say. That is 10 points higher than any season ever that the man had at Auburn. Nick's out there balling for the Ducks. Yeah, there's a lot that, that goes into it, obviously, I think. A lot of people want to write it off as all being Pac-12. You don't go from 60 to 70 and be sixth in Heisman odds just because of one league to the other. Um, that's still a power conference, and he has played lights out since that Georgia game. Now, obviously, he struggled in the Georgia game. The entire Oregon team struggled in the Georgia game. It's also the first game of a new coach and a lot of other things. And, by the way, a lot, a lot of quarterbacks look like that against Georgia. So I think what was was Robbie Ashford 35% in that game? Was he was that the game he was 13 of 35 in? So I, I mean clearly there's a, a big gap there and it's it's behooved Bo and it's been a good decision for him to go to Oregon and and now he's lighting it up and look Oregon at number eight I, I saw some people say all right Pac 12's dead. It's over. Pac 12's out of the playoff. I don't think so. I, Oregon at, at being number eight, they're going to need some help. They're not going to get the right away over some other situations. But if you're number eight in the at the end of October, <laughs> not out of it. Um, and and Utah will still be a ranked team if they are able to get through Utah. Um, I'd have to look again at Pac-12 st- standings and everything to see who is going to shake out as <clears throat> the divi- as as the team that they would probably play in the Pac-12 um, championship game. Well, I guess they don't do divisions anymore, actually, the Pac-12. So, you know, assuming Oregon's fine, 
then you got UC, USC's ranked 10th, UCLA's ranked 12th, and Utah's ranked 14th. One of those teams are going to get out of there and play Oregon as another pretty highly ranked team in the Pac-12 championship game. So they got two more top 25 victories they can pick up that will probably – uh, be two top 15 victories, two pretty good victories. So, again, not saying that as of now they'd be in just because they won out, but if they get some things to happen, you know, a lot of people don't love Clemson, for example. So if Clemson lost, would you prefer one loss Oregon or one loss Clemson and everything that would mean and, and that sort of thing? If TCU loses, Big 12, would you prefer one loss Oregon or one loss TCU? I think pretty emphatically, I think one loss Oregon in that situation. So, again, I love talking college football playoff scenarios here, and I don't think you can write off the Pac-12 just yet. Obviously, it's a big hindrance for them. UCLA, if they were undefeated, would have obviously had a great chance at it. But but Oregon being the brand name that they are, this is not like if – if uh, no offense to Oregon State. If Oregon State ran the table – you know, an 11-1 and one or something. I mean, I guess they're 5-2 and two already. But I'm just saying, if Oregon State was a one-loss Pac-12 champion, that wouldn't carry a lot of weight. If you went to the ACC and get no disrespect to them, but if Syracuse was in the a good position, that wouldn't really make – they wouldn't get the benefit of the doubt. In other words, we know that brands do get some sway. And I think that – Oregon would, would, would obviously be in that conversation. And the fact that they have looked head over heels better than the other teams in that conference. Because while they did have a close game with Washington State, you know they have won by 15 points or more in all their other conference games. So if they keep that kind of pace up, then you're going to look at them as a completely different team that obviously got killed by Georgia. Look, it is bad how bad they, they got beat by Georgia. That is something – that they've, they're going to have to overcome. But if they keep blowing teams out, then that makes a pretty compelling case for them. And then, you know, we you know like you were saying with Bo Nix going, you know, people can make the argument about, oh, well, he's playing the Pac-12. Well, if, if you want to make that comparison, uh, he, he went from the SEC to the Pac-12. It's a, quote, easier conference. Well, there's another quarterback that went from the SEC to the Pac-12, and he's a starting quarterback this year that's not doing the same thing against the same defenses. That's Emory Jones at Arizona State. He, he went from the – the same conference. How about you, Brooks? I like conference. that. Yeah, yeah and you're playing call. the exact same defenses, and uh, they haven't. You know, I, you could look at it and say, well, they haven't played. You know, the exact same schedule. Well, I can get point out a one team that uh, they've absolutely played. They're point them gonna, out. It's kind of like the opposite. They're going to play a lot of the same teams that Oregon has played in the latter half of the season, but Oregon has already played Stanford, won forty-five to twenty-seven. Well, you saw this last weekend. They played Stanford, beat Arizona State fifteen to fourteen, and so there, there is your direct comparison: is that Bo Nix and Emory Jones came from the same conference. They went to the they they went to the same conference. They're both starting quarterbacks in that same conference, and they have a they've got common opponents. But the one that you can definitely point out that they both played already is Stanford, and Stanford beat Arizona State and shut them down too. And Oregon ran over them. Well, and Arizona State lost to Eastern Michigan um, before Herm got fired. And Emory's under 200 yards a game passing, five TDs to four picks. His rushing, he's got four TDs. He's got 54 carries for 41 yards. I know it means he's getting sacked a lot, but Jesus. I mean, under a yard a carry for a guy that we know is mobile. We know Florida tried to run him. Um, 
several times. Uh, you're, I mean, that's a that's a good call, Brooks. Emory Jones is is not had any more. He's in fact, you can argue he's better at Florida. Um, so, yeah, I that that that's not a great argument. Just simply say, oh, he's playing a bunch of weak defenses. There's some weak the de- Arkansas, Ole Miss, Vandy. Not very good defenses in the SEC as well. Obviously, some of the top-tier ones are great, but I, I, we're in a day and age where, where offense reigns supreme. Uh, if you're putting up big numbers, you're putting up big numbers. Congratulations to Bo Nix for winning Sports Calls Player of the Week. All right, let's take a commercial break. Keith Niebuhr joins the show after this. J.J. Jackson and the guys want to hear from you. Give them a call to join Sports Call at 334-887-3401. I'm Brian Harson, head football coach of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back into the program. It's Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM on the Tiger Communications app here in the Auburn and Opelika area. It's J.J. Jackson with my good pals Ryan the Boy and Brooks Childress here in the studio with you today. And as we do pretty frequently throughout the football season, throughout the calendar year, honestly, we're so excited to be able to go to our Auburn Bank phone line and bring on a longtime friend of the program. He's now with On3Sports and AuburnLive.com, Keith Niebuhr has taken a chance to chat with us here on the program today. Keith, we certainly do appreciate the time. How's your day going so far? Yeah, it's going it's going good, man. If you're getting excited about me, I got we got to up your uh, your your caller <laughs> exactly. list, man. I mean, come on. I mean, Lee, goodness gracious. Yeah, no, we're uh, we're fired up. Yeah, no, everything's good. I mean, just trying to you know, get your arms around Auburn recruiting right now because you know, we interview kids, it's all about what's going on right now, where things are right now. Well, right now we know who the coaching staff is. We know who's on the coaching staff. But, in, it, you know, in two weeks it could change. So it's, uh, it's, it's, diff- yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting for us. It's interesting for you guys. It's interesting for everybody listening, all the fans, and especially the recruits as they try to figure out, you know, what's the future of Auburn football look like and who's going to be the captain of the ship. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny because at SEC Media Days, I recall Brian Harson saying – just watch in terms of what his message to recruits would be for this upcoming season and in so many ways and not the reason he was probably alluding to there with the media days event it is important to just watch Keith because it does feel like there's this like cloud of uncertainty surrounding the future of this program yeah and that's the the phrase I use the cloud of uncertainty I don't want to be overly critical of of the words they choose but I might have taken a different tack now if they genuinely thought that they were going to have a good team that's one thing but, you know, most of the coaches in the SEC didn't think they were going to be that good. I mean, they were picked to finish the coaches and the media, right? I think one or, one or both picked Auburn to finish last in the West. So I think when people, uh, impartial people, looked at the roster, they weren't overly impressed. Um, and so maybe the, a different tact might have been, hey, look, it's a rebuilding job <laughs> instead of just watch. But, I mean, it's easy to go back. He was probably trying to, to fill his team with some confidence to make them feel a little bit better about themselves and, Sometimes that works out. Sometimes it backfires a little bit, and this time it's backfired a little bit. Not not hugely backfired in the sense that yeah, it's just a catchphrase. But uh, you know what you you know I think one of the bigger things is that we were told behind the scenes Auburn felt like hey if they have a really good season 
they could have a really good recruiting class. The only problem with that is that sometimes you can paint yourself into a corner. Okay, well, what happens if you don't have a really good season? You know, are, what does that mean? Does that mean that's the only way you're going to have a good recruiting class? If, if you do well, because, you know, it's, you're not always going to do well. So, you know, I don't know. So just the choice of words might have been a little bit different looking back. But hindsight's twenty twenty, obviously. And, Keith, with them being so far behind, we've still seen them trickle yeah. in some commits uh, here yeah. despite the losses. I want to ask you about uh, a four-star guy, Clay Whedon, out of Tampa. Uh, this that this position group, the offense line, has been probably the most criticized group, not only on the field product this year, but also just recruiting-wise the last few cycles. So talk about what Clay Whedon can bring and well, then other guys they're yeah. looking at. Well, look, here's a couple of truths. Auburn's offensive line is not what it needs to be. And, and you go back to the, the 2017 class, was really the last class where Auburn signed a, a really strong O-line class, at least on paper. And even that group, uh, two of the three guys, actually all three of them started, but one of them was Calvin Ashley, five-star tackle, who transferred out of the program. The other two were Nick Brahms and Austin Troxel, who, who unfortunately had a lot of injuries to deal with, although Brahms started, you know, 35, 40 games, something like that. But uh, – you know, here's the thing. You're, you're going to be replacing a lot of guys off this, off this offensive line. There's going to be guys that are, are just done. They're, they're out of eligibility. Brahms retired, but you lose that spot. Austin Troxel's going to be gone. So there's going to be a bunch of guys, six, seven of your probably top eight or nine guys. So you're going to have to replace them. However, I don't think Clay Wheaton's a guy that's going to, be, going to be in the rotation next year. I think he's truly a developmental guy. Of the three high school guys that they have committed, center, Braden, Joyner, Clay Wheaton, who could play tackle or guard, and uh, Janoris Wilson, who could play tackle or guard. I really think Janoris Wilson is the one that would have the best chance of being in the 2 deep rotation next year. So even though you're thin there, even though you're losing a lot of guys, I'm not sure Wheaton's a guy. You know, he's playing a smaller school level in Florida. He's got a lot of growth, a lot of development ahead of him. I mean, that, that could be a two-, three-year deal before he sees the field. That's okay. So if you're Auburn, what you're doing is you're recruiting out of three different ponds this year at the offensive line position. Uh, position group. You got you're gonna take four or five guys out of high school because you got to build for the future, not necessarily starting next year. Then you're gonna take two, three, maybe even four junior college guys. Those guys you'll want to all be pushing for starting jobs and in the the two deep rotation next season. And then after that, two to three guys out of the portal, uh, the transfer portal. You're gonna hope hopefully get if you're Auburn because that, you're gonna need guys to play right away. So you've got to build a team for next year. But you have to, and that's what you do with the portal and the JUCO guys. And you have to build a program for the future. Build a team, build a program. Two different things. Uh, but Whedon, to me, again, a little bit of a, I don't want to say project, but eh, that's probably not a terrible word. I think there's a negative connotation to that. He's just a developmental guy. He's going to need some work. Keith, I want to look now at Auburn's current commitment list. Is yeah, uh, one yeah, of their four-star yeah. running back commits, Jeremiah Cobb. He he he's been committed to Auburn, but this weekend he took a visit to Georgia and he he got an offer from the University of Georgia. Should Auburn fans be worried about this at all? Yeah, I'm going to have a little bit more on the site, so I can't can't give everything away. Understandable. <laughs> we still have to pay our bills. Unfortunately, I hate to do that, but no, but I, yeah, absolutely because. And I know Auburn feels pretty good about keeping him in the class. In fact, they feel really good. He's, he's super tight with the running backs coach, Cadillac. But again, that's as of today. We don't know, you know, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know who the head coach is going to be. And if there is a new head coach, will any of the assistants be back? And if so, which ones? There's so many unknown variables, right? What we know is Georgia's winning at an unprecedented rate over there by their, by their historical standards, okay? Uh, we know that Georgia has sent a lot of guys to the NFL at the running back position. 
We know they already have one running back committed this year, uh, the Roderick Robinson kid out of San Diego, who's having a big season, and they want a second back. Uh, and we know that they offered Cobb, but they also are after Justice Haynes, who's currently committed to Alabama. Uh, he's a Georgia legacy, however. So those would be the two guys to watch if there's any Georgia fans at all listening. Those are your two running back targets. Now, if you're Auburn, you cannot afford to lose Jeremiah Cobb because you may only find one running back in this class and, and maybe take a guy out of the portal if you can later on just to add experience. But you got to have one. You're probably going to lose Tank Bigsby, let's be honest. And then you've got Jarquez Hunter and Damari Alston um, and a couple guys behind them that really haven't played much. Uh, but you need a, you need three quality backs at all time. And, you know, Jeremiah Cobb's had a heck of a season. This potentially could be his third straight 2,000-yard uh, year. Uh, you know, Del McGee, uh, the Georgia running back coach, former Auburn player, uh, if he pushes, it's going to get interesting. I don't think there's any question about that. I don't care what anybody says about him being solid. You, you know, a running back is going to listen to Georgia from this neck of the woods, this neck of the woods being the southeast. It's just, just the way it is. So, yes, it's a concern. doesn't mean they're going to lose him. Um, you know, obviously, if Cadillac isn't part of the staff, that changes the dynamics. If he is, that, you know, there's, again, there's too many unknown variables. That's what's making the job a little challenging right now for all of us, me, you, uh, and the coaching staff, too. Looks like Brian Harson will continue throughout the year and will finish the year as Auburn head coach. But but something we've heard from callers as a, as a reason of concern, something they wanted, uh, one of the yeah. reasons they wanted him fired earlier was to keep a class together. But, Keith, obviously with this class so far behind, how much validity is is there to that given that Auburn only has 11 guys? I know they're working on a bunch of other guys and there's – always unknowns with coaching turnover, but what kind of validity is there to removing a guy in the middle of the season just overall for, for a recruiting class? Let me just say this. So even though Auburn only has 11 commitments, they may only sign 20 total, around 20. And I can't give you an exact number because they don't know it. Uh, and they don't know how many numbers, how many guys they'll take out of the portal because they don't know how many guys are going to leave, how many guys they're going to ask to leave. Guy transfers, guy leaves early for the NFL, guy gets hurt, can't ever play again. There's a lot of unknowns, right? But we think around 30 total, high school, JUCO, portal. Well, that means probably about 20 in the high schools and junior colleges. So you got 11 now. So if Arson stayed, let's say, and you kept all 11 of the guys you have right now, you may only need five or six more uh, for the December signing period, get you 15, 16, 17, and maybe three or four in February. So if you look at it that way, that's attainable. Okay, then you'd hit the hit, hit the portal hard to fill in all the blanks. Now, this year you don't have to sign only 25. You can for, there's a two year waiver from the NCAA. You can sign as many as you want. You just can't go over the 85 total limit. Okay, so if you have 35 openings, you can sign 35 guys. Now, well, again, we don't know what the number is going to be. So I don't think the the 11 number is that scary, quite frankly, uh, because again, can Auburn pick up five or if these guys stay, can they pick up five six? more commitments between now and, and mid-December? Of course they can. I mean, yeah, of course. That's, that's perfectly within reason. Uh, and then a few more you know, in February, and that's perfectly within reach as well. So I don't think that's the big concern. I think the bigger concern is that of the 11 guys right now, I think you can make a case that 9 or 10 of them, Auburn was their best option. Now, that doesn't mean they can't play. That doesn't mean these guys aren't going to be good. But you're just not seeing Auburn win the recruiting battles that we saw five, six, seven years ago, and then for the three decades prior to that. You just don't see that as anymore. Uh, so who did you win in this cycle? Jeremiah Cobb, you, you legitimately beat out Clemson, but now Georgia's involved. 
Uh, Janoris Wilson, uh, offensive tackle from Lakeland, you beat out North Carolina. Other schools are starting to jump in the mix, though. They're going to push for him, too, uh, and obviously bring up the uncertainty at Auburn and all that stuff. So that one could get interesting. So those are your major concerns, just holding on to what you have. But now, that's if you're this staff. If you're a new staff, if, if these guys are let go, I mean, we have to explore all hypotheticals. Uh, and if I'm going on and on, forgive me, everybody. I hope I'm making any sense at all here. But if you have to replace these guys and a new staff comes in, how many of these 11 commitments would you keep? Would you even would you would would you still be able to sign 15, 16, 17 in December? Uh, again, more unknowns. A new staff may come in, take a look at the 11 commitments, and and by the way, we saw this at Florida last year, and they kind of cut some guys loose. I mean, they didn't want all the guys, and a new coach may not want all these guys. You don't take guys just to take guys. It's a long-term project. Um, got most of these guys, most true freshmen wouldn't be able to help you right away anyway. Most of them, so. You know, you gotta you gotta do some real hard critiquing of of your commitments. It's it's not just will the commitments like the new coaches. It's will the new coaches like the commitment. So there's all kinds of things going on. New assistant coaches may have guys that they were that they had their teeth sunk into that would that would flip. Um, you know, um, I, I'll tell you one thing that that concerns me. Auburn doesn't have a quarterback in this class, and from what I've seen out of the quarterback position, I think they need a quarterback in this class. And now you're talking about it almost being November. Um, and so I don't know if they're going to if they're going to take one. To be honest with you, I think a new coach comes in and probably takes one, and then maybe another one out of the portal. Quite <laughs> frankly, more so, things to follow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, so there's so much to kind of shake out here. Um, you know, uh, it's just hard to get your arms around it all. So you just you know you know you just try to kind of follow it day by day. They're still in it with a lot of guys. They're still in it with the two kids over at Montgomery Carver, the five star defensive lineman. They're in it with four-star edge Reuben Bain out of Miami Central. Also, Auburn's primary collective on to victory with Brett Whiteside as the executive director. Apparently, they're raising a lot of money, and they're going to keep Auburn in the game with a lot of guys. But, you know, NIL, you, what, you, what you don't want it to be is something that keeps you from getting guys. But even if you have it and it's great, it, it may not just get you guys. you still got to have the relationships. you still got to be able to develop people. You still uh, Kids still want to play for winning teams. But it can help you. It can help you. There's no question about that. So uh, a lot to shake out. Make sure you follow all of his work online on Twitter, at On3Keith. Keith Niebuhr, our guest here on the program. And we saw online, Keith, it looks like you've got yourself a Christmas Day tea time booked at Pinehurst. What excites you about that trip, man? Well, you know, <clears throat> so I used to take my mom on a uh, – I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me here, but I used to take my mom somewhere for Christmas every year because – she would do all this stuff, and then my brother and sister would always go in, in, invariably go do their own thing. So it would always be me and her anyway. So we started going on trips, Tahoe, Oregon, the Carolinas. Well, she passed away a few months ago, and I just said, you know what, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep going somewhere for Christmas. I'm single. Uh, Pinehurst has some really good deals, by the way. If you don't mind playing when it's 45 degrees, <laughs> and I don't. I've played, I've played in Scotland. Uh, I, I love it. I love it. You know, look, you're walking, you're moving, so that 45 feels like 55. Right, but they've got a pretty good deal. I'm going to get to play three courses over three days, um, and uh, have all the meals taken care of on Christmas. I'll be the the guy sitting alone in the lodge <laughs> where there's while well, there's a bunch of families around, you know. All um, while thinking about your mom. That's awesome. Yeah, that, that's really well, fun. I, 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 you know, I, I'll be thinking about my golf round probably for being told. But but yeah, so Christmas morning, eight thirty-five tea time on Pinehurst number two. You know, that's kind of a bucket list course. And, and I always tell people, if you go out, and I'm going on and on, forgive me, but you get me talking about golf and it's over. If you go out 
uh, off-season to these places, all of a sudden they become a lot more affordable, and it makes a huge difference. I mean, I'm not paying $500 to play Piners, but you cut that in half or a third, and I'll consider it, and that's, you know, you go in December, and it's a third of the normal rate, so it's perfect. What's the one course you still want to get to that you've well, never I mean, been I, before? I mean, you know, Augusta, I've never been to the Masters. I never get picked, and it's funny. I got picked for the British Open this year, the 150th British Open. I won the lottery. I got the lottery. I mean, I've been to three British Opens. I've been to a U.S. Open, but I've never, I've never been to Augusta. That would be fun. I've played. Now, playing, I think I've played eight courses with me that have hosted majors. Pebble and St. Andrews I've both played. Haven't played Augusta, obviously. Um, what would I like to play? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know. I you know, I don't know. Shinnecock, maybe? That's a good Something one. like that. Beth, Beth Page. I played Torrey Pines, and it's really fun because, you know, it's right on the ocean, but it's not as pristine as, like, these other places. It's a public, it's a public course. What clubs are you uh, playing, Keith? Uh, Mizuno. Uh, they're player improvements, but they're Mizuno uh, hot medals. So we could talk golf yeah. for days. Yeah, we could switch it up from oh, yeah. recruiting from time to time too. Oh, yeah. This is great. Hey, I do want to give you an opportunity. Tell us a little bit. Yeah. The recruiting shows have been so much fun with you and, and Jeffrey Lee over there at Auburn Live. How could folks get plugged in? Yeah, well, if you go to our YouTube page, and you know, not everybody wants to subscribe. I will tell you this: we got fifty percent off subscription rate right now. And if there is a coaching change made, you're going to want to join because yeah. there's going to be daily info. But uh, you know, not everybody wants to pay, and we get that. So on our YouTube page, which is just Auburn Live, you just type in Auburn Live and you'll find it. We put up a lot of free stuff, and including a lot of uh, recruiting shows inside the 20s, the main one. And uh, that's every Monday and Wednesday. But we, we have five shows a week. So, you know, again, for people that, you know, not everybody, you know, can afford yeah. to join a website. We understand that. So, uh, but just, just check out our YouTube page, and, and it's all right there. You can watch it on your phone and or listen yeah. or whatever. Be sure to subscribe yeah. as well. That's good stuff. Keith, yeah. thank you so much for the time today. We'll talk again oh, yeah. soon, okay? Yeah. yeah, yeah. take care, everybody. All right, that's Keith Niebuhr joining us on the program. Always a pleasure to catch up with him. Let's take a break. Justin Ferguson joins us next here on Sports Call. Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. I'm Sammy Coates, former Auburn football player and all-SEC wide receiver, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Back on Sports Call, Tiger 95.9 FM, and on the Tiger Communications app, JJ Jackson inside the studio with Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress on a Tuesday. Our thanks again to uh, Keith Niebuhr for stopping by a moment ago. Let's keep the good vibes moving along as we do each week on Tuesdays. Our good pal Justin Ferguson from the Auburn Observer is here with us on the program. Ferg, we appreciate the time. How's your week been? How's your bye week been treating you as we get set for another week of football here? Yeah, bye week was pretty good. Um, took some time off over the weekend, which was pretty nice. And, uh, yeah, we're ready to get back at it because, you know, Auburn's got their final five games of the regular season coming up in football. And uh, we are just a week away from uh, basketball's exhibition, less than two weeks away from the start of the season. So it's all about to come here in a hurry. It's insane how quickly all this thing, uh, you know, just gets here all of a sudden. We, we spend so much time throughout the year talking and speculating on what results could be. And here we are 
a busy portion of the college athletics year. Uh, it increases the workload, but I'd much rather have results to talk about uh, than a bunch of speculation, like we said. So uh, now that we've got this football team getting set for another big one against Arkansas, a lot of emphasis being made on the running game, not only for Arkansas, but also Auburn and their ability to run the football as well. Talk to me about the significance of both teams running the football. Yeah, well, first off, Auburn's uh, run defense has, has taken a huge step backwards this year. Um, they have had one of their worst seasons in a long time at stopping the run. The Ole Miss game was a perfect example of that. Um, and here's the issue. Arkansas comes into town on Saturday. Arkansas runs the ball more than any team that's not a service academy in college football this year. Um, they average more attempts per game than anybody but Army, Navy, and Air Force. This is going to be a team that's going to hammer right at Auburn's greatest weakness on defense. And we're about to see if any of the rest, anything we saw, um, you know, from, from some guys getting injured and banged up a little bit, um, maybe some time to refocus, if that'll change any, because Arkansas is just going to go right at it. Rocket Sanders is one of the best running backs in the country. Uh, KJ Jefferson is a load to bring down at over 240 pounds of quarterback. They're just going to run right at you, and they've got a really good offensive line. They always do, um, and that's you know that's been their specialty. So, I mean, for Auburn, it's just can you do something you haven't been able to do in the last few weeks, and that is just slow down the running game. I mean, even against Missouri and LSU, when they didn't post good numbers on the ground overall, they still hit some big plays on Auburn. So, you know, that's got to be something that's got to turn around. On the flip side, Auburn's own running game coming off their best game of the season against Ole Miss. Be interesting to see what that looks like. Um, Ole Miss has got, I mean, uh, Arkansas has got much better linebackers than Ole Miss does. They do some three-two-six stuff sometimes. Alabama was able to run the ball really well against them a few weeks ago, and you know Arkansas hasn't really played a lot of teams that have really committed to being a run heavier kind of team. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Maybe Auburn found something on the offensive line they liked with Jeremiah Wright uh, getting uh, his first career start at left guard. Maybe some rest will help them as well. Because right now, just Auburn's passing um, game is just not very effective. Um, if there was a week for them to step up, it would be this week. Arkansas's pass defense is one of the worst in the country. They've gotten banged up on uh, in the secondary this year. Uh, but really, it's just you know, can, can Auburn, uh, you know, get Tank Bigsby, Jarquez Hunter, those guys really rolling and build off of what they did against Ole Miss? So, you know, it could be a game that, uh, you know, the running game may put up some big numbers on both sides uh, just because Auburn has struggled so much uh, at stopping the run. Um, but maybe they found a little bit of momentum, and Arkansas may be a little bit more susceptible than some of the teams are going to face down the stretch of the year. So let's stay there then, Justin. Let's let's stay with this Auburn offense. You mentioned the fact that Arkansas has struggled at times throughout the year defending the pass. Auburn did find something potentially in terms of running the football for both the Arkansas game to just find a way and win this game, but then also the long term. What's more significant for Auburn, being able to continue to run the football with Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter or being able to find something in terms of a passing game, knowing that you're going against an Arkansas secondary? What do you think would be more significant? I think it would be more significant if Auburn could be consistent on the ground just because Tank Bigsby is your most talented player on offense. Your best bet if you're Auburn this season uh, to win some of these games is kind of making them short. You know, not, not, you know, you don't really expect Auburn to kind of light anybody up um, with a bunch of points this year, but maybe you can grind out some wins. A&M's not really good on offense this year. 
Uh, Mississippi State, that's a team you want to keep the ball out of their hands because of their air raid. Um, you know, you got Arkansas this weekend that we've talked about, Alabama the same way. Like, if they can consistently run the ball, manage the clock, um, you know, and get good chunks of yards that way and put up points that way, I think it'd be more significant because, you know, right now your passing game kind of is what it is at this point. Um, I don't see that drastically getting better as time goes on. Um, you know, Robbie Ashford can make some plays. Probably Astro's going to turn the ball over, though, and he's not a very efficient passer at this point. Um, so I think it's just, you know, you're seven games into the season, lean on your strengths, and I think it would be more valuable for Auburn if they can be a team that continues to run the ball well like they did against Ole Miss against some of these teams they've got down the stretch. Auburn football prepares for a game against Arkansas at home and 11 a.m. kickoff after the bye week, trying to find ways to build some momentum and talking about this defense now. We mentioned the impressive play for Rocket Sanders for this Auburn defense. Who were some of the players that you expect to lead the way for them on Saturday? They need their defensive line to come up in a big way. Uh, they need guys like Colby Wooden and Derek Hall, uh, Marcus Harris, to make big plays because, you know, as I wrote earlier this week at the, at the Observer, Auburn's linebackers just really haven't given much this year um, in terms of run stopping. Um, you know, Auburn's not making a ton of plays in the backfield with their linebackers. Um, hardly any, actually. Uh, and, you know, they have just have not been a very good run-stopping unit. They miss the Kobe McClain a lot. Owen Papa's not what he used to be uh, coming off that injury. Cam Riley and Wes Steiner, just, you know, th- there's been a drop-off in, in run-stopping. Um, so when you face a team that's going to want to hammer away at you on the ground, you're really going to need that defensive line to step up. And to their credit, Auburn's defensive line has been pretty productive when they've had opportunities to make stops. Uh, it's just a matter of teams getting into that second and third level. So I think for Auburn to have a chance to slow down Arkansas's running game, I can't really say I could put a ton of trust in the linebackers. Instead, I think it's going to have to be one of those games where you get some you get some really kind of heroic efforts from uh, your top defensive linemen and edge rushers and, and try to win it that way. Justin, you, you've kind of answered this question in, in a roundabout way in, these, in your last two answers, but I want to ask you directly – Brian Harson was asked this same question, so I want to ask you yesterday, what is the potential for this team over the last five games of the season? I mean, you look at the you look at the last five games and I think I think, you know, you're not going to be favored in any of them, I don't think, but I don't think any of them are games outside of Alabama. I don't think you're going to necessarily sit here and say, well, this is definitely a blowout. You know, I don't think there's I don't think there's that kind of point. I mean, Arkansas is a four-point favorite this week. I would imagine when Auburn plays State next week, they're not going to be heavy, heavy underdogs. We'll see what Texas A&M looks like in a few weeks when they come to Jordan Hare. Games are winnable, but, you know, Auburn's lost a lot of winnable games this year. Um, they lost several winnable games. Uh, to, to be fact, should have lost another one to Missouri. Um, so it's just the potential of this team is that they can they can turn it around. Like, they can uh, on paper. I mean, they're not they're not playing this just overwhelmingly brutal schedule down the stretch it's just we haven't seen Auburn be consistent and that's the thing it's like if Auburn can play some of the the defense that they've played at spots this season if they can get some of the passing game that they've gotten this year if they can get the running game from Ole Miss going all at the same time you can see how this team could win you know a, a few of these games down the stretch and still make a bowl right like that's possible the problem is is just we haven't seen it yet it's a very inconsistent football team as Owen Papo said recently, when one thing you know gets fixed, another one pops up, and I think that's just the thing with this team is just, this is just not a team that um, 
inspires a whole lot of confidence uh, when you when you talk about getting things corrected, getting things fixed. Your personnel is your personnel at this point. And so, you know, I think Auburn could snag a game or two down the stretch, but making on them to make a lot of noise is tough just because from what we've seen so far this year, this is just not a very consistent football team. Justin, now I want to pivot away. You said, you know, you mentioned earlier, we're just over a week away from Auburn basketball tipping off. They got their exhibition next Wednesday. First time we've spoken to you since the Bruce Pearl and the players' appearance at SEC Media Ace. What was your takeaway from uh, from his appearance up there? Well, the one thing that I think you can really bank on with this Auburn team right now is that Wendell Green Jr. is your starting point guard. Everything else is kind of up for grabs in terms of playing time, rotation, who's going to fit where, what that's going to look like. I think that's going to be a strength of Auburn's team this year is that they're going to be able to not rely, have to rely on one or two guys. Like, you know, they're going to be deep enough where if, if somebody's having a rough night or multiple guys are having a rough night, other dudes are going to be able to pick them up. And that's internally at their own position and in, in addition to, you know, other starters and other reserve players. But Wendell Green Jr. is that guy, at point guard. Um, he is really the only guy who's got a starting job locked up at this point. He's ready to roll. And I talked to him, you know, on, on um, at, you know, at SC Media Days, and he, uh, we were talking a lot about just being a leader and taking that step forward, um, you know, from where he was last year. He was a really good point guard last year. He just needs to be more efficient, be more comfortable, and he says he's ready for that spotlight. So I thought he uh, thought he looked, you know, and handled things really, really well at Media Days, a lot of questions that were thrown at him. Um, and I just think here in the preseason, he's looked a whole lot more comfortable um, and so when you have a team that is going to be so deep and be so versatile and you may not have a lot of, you know, you don't have a Jabari Smith or a Walker Kessler, but you, what you do have is depth, physicality, versatility. You need a point guard to be able to make it all go, right? You need a point guard to be able to facilitate it, whether you're playing on the inside or on the outside. If you're going to hammer away down low, if you're going to fire away from deep, um, if you're going to play slow, if you're going to speed it up, you need a point guard to be able to do all those things. And it looks like Wendell's going to be that guy. And then, Justin, I want to stay in the basketball world, but pivot to the pros. Last night, we saw the first ever matchup of Jabari Smith versus Walker Kessler in the pros. What has been your takeaway from both of those guys starting the start of their seasons? Yeah, I think Walker Kessler is an interesting spot. The Jazz have been a lot better um, than people thought they were going to be at the beginning of the year. He got in foul trouble last night, and so he didn't get to play a ton. Um, but, you know, Larry Markinen had a great start in Utah. Um, they're getting some good work out of Kelly Olenek, some other guys. But, you know, depending on the matchups and depending on who they play, Walker's going to get his, his chances. And he's looked pretty good on the defensive end, pretty good as a rebounder. Um, you know, had a double-double in his first game. He's, he's going to continue to kind of pick it up, I think, and kind of push ahead uh, there. Won't be a starter, probably won't be a key player this year overall for the Jazz this season. Um, but he's going to have a role. And I think that's a, that's a really good sign. And a Jazz team like this that, it's not very good. Like a lot of people thought that they were going to tank, um, you know, this season. They're showing a lot of fight early, and they look like a team that's going to, you know, they know that they are not overly talented. But what they're going to do is they're going to play really hard every night. They remind me a lot of like some of these Thunder teams we've seen recently where they're not good on paper, but they got some pieces, and they're not going to just pack it in. So I think that's a good spot for a guy like Walker Kessler to land and kind of learn how to be an NBA player on the fly. As for Jabari, great start for him. Um, great start to his career. He had an awesome game last night against the Jazz. Hit some clutch free throws down the stretch. Uh, started at center, which was uh, kind of cool to see uh, him show some of that versatility. I think he's defending pretty well. 
uh, early on. But it's that shooting and that rebounding, I think, is going to take him a long way. And, um, yeah, the more comfortable he gets in this offense, I think the more uh, shots he's going to be able to put up. But, uh, yeah, he's one of only two Houston Rockets ever to score double digits in their first four NBA games. The other one's Hakeem Olajuwon. And the Rockets have been playing basketball for a very, very long time. Um, so, really, really good start uh, for Jabari's career. I think both of those guys, they're not going to win very many games this year, I don't think, in the Western Conference, either of those teams. Uh, but both of those teams, in different ways, have a lot of heart, have a lot of fight, and they're building for the future. I think it's going to be the perfect environment for those guys to kind of learn how to be NBA players. You say often that you're not a fan of scary movies, but do you have a favorite Halloween movie? No. Same. Okay, good. Glad we're on the same page there. Uh, yeah. Short and sweet. I like it. How can we get uh, How can we get involved with Auburn Observer, Ferg? Yeah, auburnobserver.com. Sign up there. We've got newsletters this week on just why this game is kind of do or die for Auburn football. That came out today. You can check that out. Some stats there that uh, kind of point towards uh, you know what could happen here down the stretch for the Tigers. Uh, Monday's story uh, was about Auburn's run defense. There's a breakdown there. Tomorrow's newsletter do a deep dive into Auburn's small forward position for the upcoming year. Uh, Alan Flanagan, Chris Moore, maybe some chance Westry or Leo Berman. Um, just kind of what Auburn needs to get out of that group this season. Uh, we'll have podcasts uh, throughout the week, mailbag, all that good stuff. We'll have coverage of the Arkansas game. So if you want something uh, Auburn football, Auburn basketball-related, deep dives um, into uh, the X's and O's and the stats and, and the stories of Auburn football and Auburn basketball, um, and you want that in your email inbox at least once a day, uh, you can check out auburnobserver.com. Sign up there. $6 a month or $60 a year, and we will give you something pretty much every day of the week. Justin, not even Hocus Pocus? No. Wow. <laughs> I, will say, I will say The Night Bear Before Christmas is probably, like, that's the one where you can kind of say, that's kind of a Halloween movie. It's also kind of a Christmas movie. Um, so, like, that one's, that's the one where you're kind of like, I'm kind of like, yeah, that one's fine. But, yeah, no, no, none other than that. Uh, two thoughts from me before we wrap up. One, genuinely just stunned that, Brooks, you asked him about the uh, celebrity couples and sports question for a mailbag. He, and mm-hmm. I saw that Ferg actually put that into the mailbag for the Auburn Observer. I thought with my name attached to this, there is a 0% <laughs> chance that we're put in there uh, with the Auburn Observer. So one, genuinely stunned by that. And two, this past week, as people well know by now, I stood beside my brother on his wedding day as his best man. Very amazing week. A whole lot of fun. And while I was there, at one point over the weekend, my phone buzzed with the notification saying a payment had processed for another year's worth of coverage at the Auburn Observer. So while I'm with my family celebrating just this amazing accomplishment Justin, I want you to know that you were on my mind as well when that news came through. So you that got is, me for a whole nother year, man. That part is good. The fact that I was on your mind at your brother's wedding <laughs> is one of the saddest things I've heard all year. <laughs> so I wouldn't tell anybody else that. Okay. That can stay between us. Yeah, oh, man. B- between us and everyone else who's listening to this radio show. <laughs> and the podcast. <laughs> and the podcast. Yeah, it's, it's on the internet forever now. Oh. Dang. All right. Well, hey, if you want to give a shout out to uh, Sports Call next time you guys do a podcast, I wouldn't mind. We've done it before. I know you We've have. I know times, you have. Yeah. I'm just saying, you know, if, if if one came up again naturally, that'd be pretty fun. So, okay. I'm going to try to make the most unnatural one ever. <laughs> <laughs> just in the middle of a sentence, just say the word Sports Call. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Ferg, have a great week. We'll talk to you soon, okay? 
Yeah, y'all too. All right, that's uh, Justin Ferguson joining us on the program. He's a funny guy. I, I try to be funny myself. I might need to just resign to the fact that uh, there are just always going to be funnier people in life than me. Man, you know... Yeah, and some, you were thinking about one of them during your brother's wedding. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you just got to know the Auburn Observer where your 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 lines are drawn. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, man. Thanks to Ferg for joining us on the show today. <sighs> All right, well, guys, I'm tired. We need to take a break. Two hours are done. Power one nap. hour left to go. Back in a moment here on Sports Call. We're rolling. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. As the regular season winds down and the playoffs approach, nobody has high school football in Alabama covered like the AHSAA Radio Network. Join us every Friday night from 10 to midnight. We'll break down all the scores and talk with our team of experts from around the state. It's the AHSAA Radio Network scoreboard show every Friday night. You'll hear it right here. The AHSAA Radio Network Scoreboard Show, Fridays from 10 p.m. until midnight on FM Talk 93.9. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call is on the air. I'm Brooks Childress, sitting in for J.J. Jackson. He's taking care of some company business right now. Ryan LaVoy in studio with me. Ryan. Yeah, what's up? Two hours. Fun times. Yeah, we've been rolling, as some would say. Uh, good interviews there with uh, Keith Niebuhr and Justin Ferguson. Uh, I'm a big golf guy, too, so Keith can totally nerd out on that stuff, and I'm perfectly okay with that. Uh, but we talked to him primarily about recruiting, the state of Auburn's recruiting, with just 11 commits, ranked 49th in the 247 rankings. And I think they got up to like 45th or 46th when Clay Whedon committed. But again, you know, just so others are aware, everyone else doesn't stop recruiting while yeah, Auburn correct. recruits. So Auburn's starting to slide back towards the, the, the end of the top 50. Um, so we talked to him about that and then Justin Ferguson about what Auburn needs to do against Arkansas. And a little Auburn basketball there at the end. Hard to believe 13 days till tip-off of Auburn basketball, November 7th. And going to be really exciting to see a whole new squad. Eight days from uh, Auburn basketball's first on-court action with the with the exhibition game against uh, UAH coming up next Wednesday. You kind of you, – you've made a really good segue here, Ryan, because uh, as we talk about some of these interviews, let's get our – 
Sports Call Daily Show recap. We've already finished the first two hours of Sports Call today. <sighs> Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? It's now time for the Daily Show recap. Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? Yes, so uh, we, we kind of went through some of the interviews already. So we've, we've had a good show so far today. Had some great calls on the show today. Some great Auburn talk. And as you were, uh, you said, what would you say, 13 days? 14 yeah, days? 13, 13 days, days away from Auburn basketball's official season tip-off as they take on the George Mason Patriots out of the Atlantic 10 me and uh, Brant, I think it was Thursday, me and Brant were trying to figure out what conference they were in. I, I said the Patriot League to start with, and then I went to the CAA, and then I looked it up as the they're in the A-10 uh, League. Who? George Mason. George, oh, sorry, yeah. A-10. They used to be in the Patriot League. Sorry, I zoned out for a second. I was looking at depressing NFL things ah. on the TV screen we have in here. But, um, yeah, George Mason, I think they were in the Patriot League when they went to that Final Four when Jim Laranago was there in the mid-2000s and all that. But uh, I, I would not have... I don't know if I would remember A10 now. I would have said exactly what I just said. They used to be the Patriot League. I don't know what they're in now. They are they're an A10 opponent. Um, Auburn has played some A10 opponents in the last few years. They've they've had a game against Dayton in the last few years. They played Saint uh, Saint Houston, Saint Louis in the past few years. They're going to play them again this year. They make the return trip up to Saint Louis this year, correct? Uh, I believe they already played at Saint Louis, unless they've got them. Um, again, no, you're right. They did go and play at St. Louis. I think St. Louis comes here this year to Auburn because they played the the Birmingham game, and then it's uh, it was a road game and a home game for them. Right, I know because I we, well, I believe we traveled to that one in in Birmingham. We did, um, but yeah, you're talking about their their big non con stuff. So they got South Florida as their second game, and of course that is a return trip. They played down there in Tampa last year because they wanted to get adjusted to Amelie Arena, which ended up not helping them uh, for the SEC tournament. Uh, Non-conference, rest of it was Winthrop, Texas Southern, got Bradley in the Cancun Challenge, and then they'll play either Northwestern or Liberty. And then, yes, as you said, Brooks, yes, they play St. Louis in Neville Arena Sunday, November 27th, so that's Thanksgiving weekend. They got a brand of toothpaste on December 2nd. Um, that's Colgate for those that are unaware. Uh, Memphis and Holiday Hoops Giving, that one is in Atlanta, State Farm Arena. They did that last year, too, but who did they play last year? Uh, last year they piped Nebraska. Nebraska, yep. And then Georgia State, December 14th, they go all the way out to California to play at Southern Cal on December 18th, and they'll stay out there and play at Washington December 21st. So a couple good quality non-con games right before conference play opens up with Florida. And then uh, you've got that non-conference game in the middle of conference, a conference slate with the Big Ten SEC Challenge where they go up and play in Morgantown, West Virginia against West Virginia Mountaineers, but that is a long way off. But, you know, looking at that early season schedule, the, there's some teams in there that could test the Tigers, but there's not a team that they should – that they, they should lose to in that, that slate. Even when you get to that Cancun challenge, there's not a, really a team there that they would be slated to face that you would think that Auburn would lose to that team. Yeah, they, sh they shouldn't lose to Northwestern, really, or, or Liberty. Liberty has been kind of spicy in recent years where they've won 24-25 games, and I think they made an NCAA tournament or two. two. But, again, that's still not the type of team you expect to lose to. Uh, I mean, you know, playing South Florida, they did struggle in Tampa last year when they played South Florida, although South Florida's not very good. 
So I, you know, maybe maybe South Florida can keep the score down in that game. But yeah, Auburn should have a real opportunity to rattle off a bunch in a row. St. Louis, you wouldn't worry too much about since it's in Neville Arena. Uh, and so you get all the way to Memphis uh, in middle December is the first game that I think they'll have to pay attention, close attention to. And then obviously those two games out in the West Coast. That Those will be the ones where, I, I don't know, unless Memphis is, is better than I think they could be. Obviously Memphis has recruited well for several years now with Penny Hardaway. But unless they, unless they really get coached well and start to develop, a bunch of kids, you know, Memphis will be fine, but I don't know if they'll be great. USC and Washington, same caliber of teams with those two, but what I'm interested in is the fact that Auburn has to go across the country because, as we know, with the NCAA tournament, there's real unless you're a one seed, maybe a two seed, there's really no – you don't have a say where you yeah. go. So Auburn could end up being a four or five seed this year, which is pro- probably where they're slated to be. They could be in Birmingham because Birmingham hosts, or they could be out in California, yeah. and, and we've seen them have to go out west before. So I'm, I'm interested in those two games a lot, not because necessarily USC and Washington are some world-beater teams that they won't face, but just how they take a West Coast trip being away from home because they're going to stay out west. They're not going to come home for a day and go back out there a day later. So how do they handle being on the West Coast for five or six days and playing two teams that, that should at least be on the bubble? And with those two games, that is their first – two true road games you look at the the entire the non-conference slate up until that point they are at neville arena until you go to cancun mexico which is not there's not going to be an overly amount of either uh, any team's fans down there and then you get the holiday hoops giving in atlanta which if you think about it probably going to be a lot of auburn fans that make that trek up there to atlanta i'm sure there's gonna be a, quite a few memphis fans to make the trek down because it's not as you know that not an atrociously long drive but you would think by geography there's going to be probably more Auburn fans in the building. And so your first true road game is that USC game on the 18th against, uh, you know, in a hostile environment where they care about basketball out west. And USC, you know, like you said, USC and Washington, both teams that could be on the bubble this year. And it, it's and it's going to be very interesting to see, like, like you said, how they handle – you know, playing that far away from home, how they handle being on the road trip for that far, that long, and then how they handle a their first time in front of a a hostile environment that you don't have uh, over, you know, a, a lot of your fans there. I'm, I would be hard-pressed to say there's going to be a lot of Auburn fans there because it's so far away. There's going to be some that make the trek out there. There's some Auburn fans that are, you know, West Coast that are, are going to take advantage of Auburn being out that, you know, close to them. But it's going to be a real test for them to have, their, for, to have their first true road game out on the West Coast with this trip, too. Yeah, I think, obviously, you know, I mean, those will be very much true road environments. They will be full with the opposing team's fans. So the, the Auburn presence is not going to be much of a factor for those two West Coast games. But uh, I think what you saw with this team is that they started to feel worn down last year once they did start to go through the SEC grind and go through the – the road games, obviously, they, they played like a much different team. And, and I think to some degree that was a little overblown because every team struggles more on the road. I mean, the college, the home team in college basketball wins 70% of the time roughly. And so it, it going on the road is always a, a challenge, and that's that was not what was disappointing about it. What was disappointing about it is that they, they really couldn't find a way to – even play some resemblance of of the brand that they played at home. And by the end of it, because they did lose very early in the NCAA 
NCAA tournament because they lost in the first game in the SEC tournament. They really never proved that they were a team that was truly great away from home, that, that their game could travel because while they did have those road struggles and a lot of teams do, it, it seemed like maybe some of their success was purely just because of the great home environment that Auburn has built in Auburn Arena, now Neville Arena. And so, again, any road game going to be watching with with closer inspection because this is a team that's supposed to go to the NCAA tournament. This is a team that's supposed to be a top 20 team at, at worst or top 25 team at worst. And so when you have those kind of expectations and mindsets, you want to start to see how their game and how the team will will translate into postseason basketball. Auburn basketball, eight days away from their first on-court action, 13 days away from the games that matter in Neville Arena. Let's take our first break of hour number three. When we come back, Anthony from Auburn is on the line. We'll get to you right after this. You're listening to Sports Call. May we have your attention, please? Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Hi, my name is... What? My name is... My name is... Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. our sports call callers and guests join us on the auburn bank phone line auburn bank has been your hometown bank for over 110 years visit them online at auburnbank.com for more information your partner your neighbor your friend member fdic equal housing lender give us a call to join sports call at 334-887-341 locally or toll free at one 9 tiger 9 auburn bank is the proud sponsor of the sports call phone line i'm brooks childress ryan lavoy in studio with me jj jackson had to step out for some company business he'll be back shortly though but until he's back, we are running the ship here, and we're going to get ready to go back to the Auburn Bank phone line right now as we have a call waiting. we got a couple calls waiting. We'll start off right here in Auburn with Anthony from Auburn. Anthony is joining us on the phone line. Anthony, how are you doing today? Doing good. And you guys? Doing well. Great. You know, that, that Bo Nix, I tell you, he looks like he's uh, certainly a good fit for Oregon football. Uh, the fun he's having, that they winning. uh he threw for another five touchdown passes this weekend. I think it was over 200 or 300 yards uh, in the air. I mean, he's lighting it up. I mean, he's got Heisman-type numbers. I mean, if you look at the uh, numbers he's had so far in the, in the passing game touchdowns and then what he's got in rushing touchdowns, I mean, he's on par. Uh, he continues with that every week, week in and week out. That uh, He certainly should be a top candidate for the Heisman when that time comes around. Yeah, he's. Uh, I think we said earlier that he is right now currently sixth in the odds for the, the Heisman Trophy. So I, I don't know who's remaining on the schedule. I don't know if they play USC or UCLA or whoever, but left on the schedule. But uh, you know, I know they got to play Oregon, uh, Oregon State. They got they got Utah, who's another top twenty-five team, and then the Pac-12 okay. got got away from division, so they'll play the second best team, the Pac-12, in the conference championship game so that could be usc or or ucla again someone someone pretty good like that 
oh man, he could put the icing on the cake at that game. I mean, if he could, they can win that game and he go out and perform well, I don't know. That might be enough to sway the voters. It could be. Uh, I tell you, I'm just glad to see him uh, having fun like that because you know uh, he's at Auburn was heavily criticized, uh, didn't win very many games, uh, didn't really reach his full potential. Uh, as far as individual goals go, and uh, as far as team goals go, didn't uh, really, you know, get to the conference championship game or anything. Just couldn't quite get what they needed to get with with, with Bo Nix. But but now we see that uh, perhaps uh, Bo Nix wasn't the problem. Maybe it was Auburn, you know. Uh, uh, some people, uh, where well, they might see that thing. But, man, I, I tell you. But uh, speaking of Auburn, I got to Arkansas. Is the Hogs coming to town this weekend? 11 a.m. kickoff? Coming to town. That's right. Oh man, I, I tell you, I think it's going to be a close one. I, I I would say Arkansas twenty four, Auburn twenty three. I think Arkansas will be one point better uh, in this matchup here. Uh, I don't think Auburn's going to be able to turn around and do anything. I think it's just continue to slide on downhill is uh, what I believe will continue to happen week in and week out till the season's over. But we will find out. Uh, one other thing. Uh, okay. Texas A and M with this Jimbo Fisher. Now, is this his fifth season or sixth season? Listen, he was his first year. I think was seventeen or eighteen. I'm trying and, to remember the number. And so it, this would either be his fourth or fifth year. Well, I tell you, A and M. You know, he hadn't won more than eight games. I don't think. Correct me if I'm wrong. Season. Six seasons. Oh, it's six seasons. Yeah, that's what I thought. Now, he ain't won. He hadn't won more than eight games in any of these seasons he's been there. Correct. He hasn't won fewer than eight, but uh, he's got three seasons with, or excuse me, two seasons with. I can't do math. This is his fifth season. This is his fifth season as the head right. coach of Texas A&M. He's got two seasons with eight wins, two seasons with nine wins. They are currently three and four on the season. You know, I know that 2020 season looked pretty good because he didn't play but 10 games, so that eight-season win uh, probably outshines the rest of But, you know, he hadn't done any better than uh, Kevin Sumlin, and they thought he was supposed to be the golden child of save A&M, Aggie football land and all that stuff, and he's going to go to Hallelujah land and sing Kumbaya and, and, you know, and have a little apple pie and drink some coffee and stuff. But uh don't look like none of that's working out. And you got this man on a $100 million, $200 million uh, deal, and the buy him out is going to cost uh, ninety million if he goes this year, which I highly doubt it. But I don't know. You know, all money is this big billion dollar business. But uh, you know, that's a lot. That's a big buyout. I mean, his agent certainly should be applauded for uh, uh, negotiating a deal like that with that kind of buyout for his client. I, I tell you. But you know, a lot of people from that, um, moving on down the road from now on, when you start doing contracts negotiations and that sort of thing, probably not going to want to go that route. With that kind of buyout, that kind of uh, um, cheese on the table, if you will, you know that's a that'll fatten up a rat in a minute. And uh, you know, I don't know what they were thinking. I guess they got crazy with the national title that he had won in 2013 over that Florida State and thought that they had that man or, or thought he was worth that. But it appears that he's certainly not. And uh, I don't think I don't know. We you know at the beginning of the season, people were ranting and raving how they thought the A&M was going to do this. They was going. Going, you know, go ahead and step out in front of Bama and ease on into the championship game, but ain't none of that happening this time. Do you think that they let him go this year, or he had to stay there another four or five, maybe six years 
that sort of mediocre I think it's starting uh, to get in that direction. I mean, he's got to start winning out there on the field. I will say, in addition to that national championship at Florida State, I had forgotten this, Anthony, but the numbers for folks out there, he did have six total seasons with double-digit wins. So he was doing things at Florida State, and yes, it's the ACC, not SEC, but he did have some really good seasons outside of just that national championship victory. But yeah, they've got to start winning football games there in College Station, that's for sure. But he he inherited a a Bobby Bowden program that was already in place, that already was a winner, that was already known all across the land, and just stepped in. Yeah, but then he kept it going, and he won a national championship. Yeah, he kept it going. But once everything eased, once all the talent eased on out of town. Yeah, I'm not one to knock a national championship winner. Well, I'm not going to knock that either, but like I said, you can come in off of some talent somebody else recruited. That's the heavyweights of them all. And a prime example of that is when Terry Bowden came in in uh, 93. Yeah, when he came in in 93 after Pat died, Dye had a stable. He had it loaded. But when once Dye talent got out, and he messed around and uh, went undefeated that year in 93, but once all the Dye talent eased on out of town. It got difficult. Then, then we saw the demand when they were able to bring it in, and then you saw what happened. So, oh, I mean, that, that plays yeah. a part in that, too. But, uh, you know, we're, we're going to see what they're going to do with it. We're going to see. We're good to hear from out. you. Thanks for the call today, buddy. Thanks, guys. You guys have a good one. Thanks. All right. That's uh, Anthony from Auburn joining us on the program. 334-887-3401. Michael from Auburn. Michael has called into the program. Hey, Michael. Hey, guys. You were talking about uh, teams having to go out uh, west and, and, and different travel. I was going to give you some football history uh, on the program today, if you had a minute. Go right ahead. Sewanee, 1899. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the Swanee Tigers football team, okay? I'd love to hear this. Go ahead. They played in the Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Association, okay? Okay. They they went 12 and 0, outscoring opponents 322 to 10. Pretty decisive. Wow. Just some of the teams they played: Vanderbilt, Alabama, Tennessee, Auburn, Texas, North Carolina, Ole Miss, Georgia, Clemson, LSU. Cumberland, Georgia Tech, and Tulane, okay? A who's who, yep. They were led by 21 players, uh, led by head coach Herman Sutter, uh, who was a future college Hall of Famer, okay? With just 18 players, the team known as Ironmen embarked on a 10-day, 2,500-mile trip train ride on a train where they played five games in six days, Swanee had five shutout wins over Texas in Austin, Texas A&M, Tulane in, L- in New Orleans, LSU in Baton Rouge, and Ole Miss in Memphis. Sports writer uh, called the group the most durable football team I ever saw. The road trip is recalled memorably with the biblical illusion, and on the seventh day they rested. Wow. <laughs> That's insane. 2,500 mile on a train playing, playing, uh, you know, six, six games in five to outscore all of your opponents, 322 to 10. Yeah. It's clear that that, uh, that long train ride didn't throw them off too much. Yeah. So, I, I mean, you talk about history and talk about play, you know, teams. I remember Auburn, I think in Oh two, um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but we had four games in 19 days. And I remember that I thought that was dueling. Uh, we opened with USC, then we played two Saturdays in a row, and then played Mississippi State on that th- following Thursday night to end it. That was that was rough. Yeah, no, you're exactly a Monday game 
against uh, Southern Cal, then Western Carolina on a Saturday, Vanderbilt on a Saturday, and a Thursday game against USC. That is uh, 17 days. Four games in 17 days. Man, oh, man. All right. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Good to hear from you, Michael. We appreciate that. Yeah, that is silly. Four games in a 17-day stretch back in 2002. You don't see that too often nowadays, that's for sure. All right, it's Sports Call, Tiger 95.9 FM. We get set to take our final break of today's program. We'll wrap it up after this, Tiger 95.9 FM. you want to join our conversation tweet us your thoughts on twitter at sports call au this is former auburn football player danny skutak and you are listening to the abbey award-winning sports call auburn Back on Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, this is Sports Call, Tiger 95.9 FM, and on the Tiger Communications app. My name is JJ Jackson. I do this radio show with Brooks Childress and Ryan Lavoy. We appreciate you for making us a part of your schedule. It's always a joy and an absolute pleasure to talk about sports with you each and every day. It's what we love to do, and we uh, are going to continue to do that for you, the listener. A great show planned for you tomorrow with Tom Peavy, Back in the building, our thanks again to Keith Niebuhr and Justin Ferguson for joining us on today's show. Uh, what we got to do, we do this each and every day, is make sure we take advantage of the opportunity to give you our nightly TV guide. I will say, before we get there, that on yesterday's TV guide, we told you about Monday Night Football between the Chicago Bears and the New England Patriots and let you know that if Bill Belichick would have won last night's game, he would have broken a tie to become the second winningest coach in NFL history with 325 wins. First, with 347 wins, Shula, I believe. So 22 wins off that mark. You see any world in which Belichick can become the all-time winningest head coach in the NFL? I think so. Does he have 22 more wins left in him before he wants to walk away and retire? It- I mean, so, I mean, just how many more years? I mean... That's if my question. Just, so how many more years is he going to go? The, what you can go, what is, what is like, you can go 9-8 and eight now? Or was, what's the... Correct, what's that the, is 17 yes. games. Yeah, so so if you if you just go the median, 9-8, and eight, what is that? That's that's 18 wins in so two it's, seasons. So it's six more wins this year, and then, um, so it'd be 24 more wins from now. So he'd have it in three full years. Because he said he needs 22? So he needs 22. Yeah. So th- I, th- I think so he's if just he, got to coach three yeah, more I think average he, seasons. I think if he were to finish with a winning season the next three, I think he could do it. I think he's got three. Do you more think years he will he... do that? You said they're going to be around five hundred this year. So I, I, it's hard for me to project out without knowing the roster moves. I don't because I don't because I don't think New England's a team that's going up or down right now. I think they're just kind of chilling. They're out. chilling. Yeah, we're New England. Okay, fun. Also, you've got the and uh, you know I don't know how much this plays into it, but you've got the Belichick the pride there a little bit where you know it, it's always it's always been ha- was it Belichick or was it Brady and I think it was you know it, it obviously was a little bit of both but Brady went off and won a Super Bowl and Belichick's kind of just sat there with the team and it hasn't really like made the playoffs once since Brady's gone left and so I feel like he still wants to 
get try to get as close as he can to matching that and saying no i'm still you know i'm still the greatest coach here it, it was you know because it, 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 the scales kind of tilted toward brady after that super bowl win and so I, I think that a little bit of the pride there step steps in and he wants to he wants to get there i don't know if he will get there but i, I think he wants to keep going a little bit longer yeah i think i saw i want to be careful of this i'm gonna do my own research because i don't believe the internet sometimes but i think i saw in every game that Belichick has coached that's not had Brady, he is under 500. He's like 48 and 51. I mean, it's not like so. grossly under 500, but it is slightly under 500. So everything that they do is relevant right now because he's trying to get, you know, get over 500. And, and as you said, Brooks did make a playoffs last year. Looking at his Cleveland time, it, that was 36 and 44. Wouldn't have had Brady in 2000 with New England. So that's 41 and 55. Uh, 2001, they won the Super Bowl. I don't know how many games Brady started that year. Let's say they won a bunch of them. Let's say like 47 and 57 or something. Let's say he went like 6-2 and two with Brady or something. Um, And then what year – they missed the playoffs with Castle, but they had a good year. Yeah, that was, I think they still uh, won 10 games 11 and 5. Yeah. So that'd be like 58 and 60-something. And then you got his time – in New England, since Brady, 7-9, 10-7, So just in these last few years, that's 17-16. That, that is literally 20-20 20 20 since Brady left for New England. So right at 500, just maybe a four or five games below 500 without Brady as the, as the quarterback. So that's going to be people's arguments to discredit them. I think you clearly need both. But um, I, I think I – think I, I mean, I agree with Brooks. I think Belichick's he's got. I mean, he's got that competitive yeah. spirit to him. He's got. If he and, didn't, they would. He would have retired before now. And it, you know, if you if you ever watch uh, a broad, you know any sort of TV broadcast with the Patriots on it, one bullet point that the broadcasters always bring up, and it's what is know, it is how much he loves NFL history, and he's just a savant in NFL history. And I think that would be really important that he etches his name with you know as the greatest coach of all time in the history books that he is he he just he knows all of it. I, don't, I don't if you watched the game last night the he's won a lot of super bowls Brooks. he has won a lot of super bowls george uh, hallis who he's tied with was on the team with his father right at uh the i think it was navy the right. service academy navy and it's like he he has a direct connection with the guy he is tied with he is so into the, the the history that I, I think that's a really important aspect to them we had fun facts for you about last night's game bears and patriots for our nightly tv guide let's give you something else that's entertaining here today on the program this is a new edition of sports calls nightly tv guide our show is about to end but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. All right, our Nightly TV Guide is brought to you by our friends over at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Brooks Childress, what's on television this evening, sir? All right, well, we'll start out in the movie world at 6.17 on the dot, 6.17 p.m. on Stars. Spider-Man Far From Home. Following the events of Avengers Endgame, Spider-Man must step up to take on new threats in a world that has changed forever. Peter Parker decides to join Ned, MJ, and the rest of the gang on a European vacation. However, Peter's plans are to leave superheroics behind for a few weeks are quickly scrapped when he has begrudgingly agrees to help Nick Fury uncover the mystery of several elemental creature creatures' attacks, creating havoc across the continent. Didn't read this beforehand. This movie, released back in 2019, stars Tom Holland, Samuel L. Jackson, the... 
now murdered twice because of Taylor Swift, Jake Gyllenhaal, Zendaya, oh, Jacob ba- Battalion, and more. Check it out. Spider-Man Far From Home, 617 on Stars. Stars. 7 o'clock on FX. The Marvel movies continue tonight as Iron Man 2 with the world now aware of his identity as Iron Man. Tony Stark must contain must contend with both his declining health and a vengeful madman that tries that ties to his father's legacy. Iron Man 2 was released in 2010. Stars Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow, Don Cheadle, Scarlett Johansson, and more. So that is uh, the two Marvel movies for you this evening. And then a sports movie for you tonight, 8 o'clock on E! Network, The Blind Side, one of my favorite football movies of all time. On E? On E! On E! But the Kardashian is not in there. That's right, but Sandra Bullock is. And that's no. as close as the movies can get to Kardashian. <laughs> Based on a true story, Michael Orr is a traumatized and homeless boy who became an all-American football player and first-round NFL draft pick with the help of a caring woman and her family. The Blind Side was released in 2009, starring Sandra Bullock, Tim McGraw, Lily Collins, and more. Sandra Bullock's the caring woman that helps him out. You're right. In the film. She is very caring. Uh, And that is a look at your movies for the night. Sports on for you this evening. We've got some NBA and NHL action starting out in the the basketball world. Uh, 6.30 on TNT. It is the Dallas Mavericks. Luca. Our good good friend James from Montgomery's team, the Dallas Mavericks, taking on JJ's favorite NBA player that's not named LeBron James, Zion Williamson in the New Orleans Pelicans. Zion! Not on your television tonight. I apologize to everyone for what JJ just yelled. Anyway, Zion is out tonight. Oh, well, shock to absolutely nobody. He can watch his other Duke player, Brandon Ingram. Did you hear? Did did that make sense? That what you said or what he said? I was like, yeah, no, you don't have to repeat it. We, yeah, we got no, it. We got and then it. at the yeah. very end, I said, not on television tonight. You're right. I, I but did. to be more clear. Yeah. Yeah. Not o'clock on TV. Maybe you'll see him on sports. Or sports. You on, will see him on sports. Maybe Center. you'll see him in street clothes on television tonight. Maybe you will. Someone you won't see in street clothes. Or maybe they, he'll, like, protest the fit. game. Maybe he will. Maybe he'll go find a, you know, a, a burger joint or something yeah. to eat. Uh, 9 o'clock on TNT tonight. Someone you will see on the court because they're not always injured. Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. Don't jinx him, please. <laughs> Take on the Phoenix Suns tonight. Big Western Conference early season battle there. I feel an ankle sprain coming oh, after no. bringing that up, bro. sprain your ankle. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> and then tonight, hockey action for you. 7 o'clock on ESPN, the Colorado Avalanche. The defending Stanley Cup champions visit the New York Rangers. Their first trip east this year. And then the Western Conference, 9.30 on ESPN. The Vegas Golden Knights take on a team that's not really on uh, national TV a lot, and I kind of like them. It's the San Jose Sharks. they got a good color scheme. Okay, I thought anything but the When Coyotes. they had Burns and Thornton and uh, a couple of those guys a few years ago, yeah. the Sharks had a mean guy streak to them. Yeah. I would love to play a game to see if I can name at least one hockey player on every NHL team. That would be Because I would game. not be able to. That'd be a and good, Bill uh, Bailey would... Be I, rolling would, I would not be able to do that. That's our nightly TV guy. That is your nightly TV guy. Brought to you by our friends over at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Pretty fun. Yeah. Thank you, Brooks. Absolutely. Really appreciate everything you do. Ryan, thanks for being here. JJ. Thank you, man. <laughs> All right, Brooks. Yes. See you soon. Absolutely. All right, that's going to do it for today's show. Thank you to Keith Niebuhr and Justin Ferguson for stopping by. For Ryan the Boy and Brooks Childress, I'm JJ Jackson. Thank you, and uh, good day. Good day.